XM 105, Sirius 206, the Opie and Anthony Channel. The Ron and Fez Show starts right now.
Quit bopping. Oh, buddies. It's the Ron and Fez show on a Friday. Uh, we started with a little funk today for a Black Friday. A little funk out there with James Brown. Black Friday. It is Black Friday. I wish it was the beginning of a three-day Black Weekend. That's the way I'm feeling right now. I just want to take three days... Listen to soul, rhythm, and blues. Shit, that sounds fun. Uh, but we are going to play around with the blues a little bit today, right? That's right. Royal Southern Brotherhood going to be swinging in around 1 o'clock. It's Mike Zito, Devin Allman, and Cyril Neville. And we got a guitar in the studio. Oh, uh, yeah, we're going to play a little guitar? Yeah. Live. Ask those guys if you can get a hold of them. If they want hands bonanza on percussion, because uh, the guy plays bongos, and he also uh, will just get an old wooden crate and play that with a pair of brushes. He's badass. <laughs> just lay that fucking sis sound down. It's just amazing what you can find music in. Just the simplest objects. Everywhere, right? Yeah, music is everywhere. Uh, it is the Ron Fez show. We're on a uh, Friday here. Chris, what's the big story for you? What's in Chris's head today? What's up on the iBang wire? On the iBang wire, Pat Robertson has come onto the side of the potheads. I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> I feel like I'm high right now. And you know, I kind of think it was the tornado people's fault, too, now that Pat Robertson maybe weren't praying hard enough. Yeah, they weren't praying hard enough. Maybe Pat Robertson, of course, he's got the 700 Club. Maybe he's a little Rastafarian because the Rastafarians always believe that you need a little weed to get closer to God, right? To Jah. Yeah. This doesn't make sense, though. Why not? All the crazy stuff he said, everyone's like, this guy's a nut. He's he's a a lunatic. And now he's like, oh, yeah, and we should also legalize weed. And everyone's like, okay, well, now you're making sense. Well, don't you think that the village idiot every once in a while makes sense? Like, a village idiot can tell you when it's raining out. I guess so, but it it just seems weird. He's so crazy. Why do you have to shit on Pat Roberts? No, you know what? Maybe he's saying the truth. Maybe this means that weed should not be legalized. No, it should be. I think Are you I- sure this was Pat Robertson and not Robbie Robertson? Because that would make a lot more sense. Oh, this is old man Pat Robertson, for damn sure. Oh, man, take a look at my weed. It's a lot like yours. Did he give one of those things where he's like, and God spoke to me in a dream? And he oh, said, that's a pretty good impression. You gotta be smoking weed. Well, you're from his part of the world, right? Oh, yeah. Virginia. How, how close did you grow up to where he's got his... Just a couple hours away. I mean, you know, it's a very short trip. It's it's closer than I I feel comfortable with. Have you ever run into the people that don't they have like a little college there, a little non-accredited college? I think it's Liberty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Liberty University. Or is that li- was, was he Liberty or the other guy? There was. Uh, I think Falwell was Liberty. Oh, Falwell was Liberty. They're all in that area that you grew up in, oh, though. Regent University. I don't even think I've. So at that university, no, at that university, you should be able to smoke weed then, like Pat says. All right, cool. He's given us the okay, pretty much. I mean, his fucking flock is huge. These guys got more money than fucking God knows what. 
Um, well, I do. Uh, I, I I think it's funny though that sometimes when you're when you're going like uh, what Matt just did, where you're like, "Hey, if I di- normally disagree with the guy, do I disagree with everything that he says?" Uh-uh. Actually, some things you got to agree with people on. He's turning me on everything else, too, now that he came out with this. I know. I'm starting to think about the whole Christianity thing. And no. That's it's making a lot more sense. 316. Um, he says some very hurtful things. You shouldn't agree with what he what's said. What's one hurtful thing that he said? Um, everything he says seems like it's just fucking dead on to me. That it was right Tornado now. People's own fault. Well. That was hurtful. They like he praying. said, don't live on the coast or in the middle of the country. I agree with that. Liber- live right on the Regent uh, University where you're safe. That's like a dome city. A dome city of love. God, it's in Virginia Beach, too. Uh, I like this uh, story up. Some guy has put out a uh, book called The Myth of Sex Addiction. Now, what he's what they're kind of mad at him for is that he's using David Duchovny a guy that we had on our show as like a poster child. Oh. You know, like, hey, like, look at this dude. Come on. But he brings up the company, Tiger Woods, and Michael Douglas. And his point is you've got a bunch of people who say, I'm a sex addict the second they get caught cheating on their wife. <laughs> well. <laughs> like, no one thinks they have an addiction until they're like, hold, hold on, baby. You gotta understand something. This ain't my fault. I have a disease. Yeah. It's called sex addiction. Come visit me in the hospital. And I forgive you for yelling at me. Go, I'm gonna do a bid real quick over in Palm Beach or wherever. <laughs> no one calls that a bid when you're in the fucking <laughs> rehab. <laughs> Maybe if it's court ordered. Now, I don't really know. I know this comes up and people get very, very mad at it. I really don't mind if people give whatever they have a name. A lot of people do. Just whatever they say they have, it suddenly has a name, and then they feel better about it. But he said um, that a lot of this stuff has nothing to do with addiction because you're not doing the same thing. Does it lead to death if you keep doing it? No. If you stop it, could it you know, kill you if you stop it too quick? No. It seems like it's more of a compulsion or an obsession than addiction. But I don't know why any of this stuff is really all that important. You know, like when you use the word disease, there's a lot of people who get mad of whether or not alcoholism is a disease or not. Yeah, I've heard that. Before. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter, does it? Just whatever. <laughs> just fucking stop doing it. Yeah, you, it's ruining your life. All right, there's a, a poll up on the on the iBank wire. Let me see where people are going with this. Um, 90% of the people right now say that it's bullshit. I'm very wow. surprised by that. I thought we would be, you <laughs> oh, know, shit. going back and forth with it. But I'll open up the phones. I would love to talk to a sex addict today. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Or anyone who's been around somebody that the sex addiction thing was used against them. But... If someone told me, like, I'm a sex addict and I'm dealing with it, I'd be like, okay, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't fucking feel this, this is bullshit. need You're to not talk a them down. fucking addict. You know, because I don't quite get that compulsion. But I've met people who have this fuck. They claim they can't go to bed at night unless their shoes are lined up. Now, I can't even fucking identify with that 
for a That's... second because I could lay down and go to sleep on a bunch of shoes. <laughs> I don't give a shit. But they swear it's true. And then, of course, once you heard OCD, then everybody started using and it's it. It's applied to everything. Yeah. Any, any sort of quirk or problem you have. Uh, a lot of fucking women will say this, too. And I just, I'm always about being anal. And a woman will say to you, you know what I'm anal about? And I'm always like, I hope it's about getting anal. That would be the fucking greatest. You like it there, right? Um, let's, um, here's Jeff in Mass. Jeff, you're on the Run of Fish show. Hey, buddies. I'd just like to say, when it comes to celebrities, they can't be sex addicts. They're rich. They're famous. Most of them are sex symbols. Of course, they're going to have women throwing themselves at them. And if they don't have any self-control, well... Whatever, they just want what they want. So it can't I, be an See, that's a really good thing. I wonder how many guys are sex addicts until the album stops selling and the band breaks up, or they blow out a knee and they're no longer playing with the Cowboys. They're going to sell down. You know? That's the fucking funny thing about uh, fucking dudes is a lot of guys are like, I would never do that. Don't have that fucking constant opportunity. Isn't throwing their face. Yeah. Because if you suddenly ran out of money and you were addicted to, say, drugs or alcohol, you'd still find, you would be still trying to find a way Absolutely. to get that, right? Yeah, like most crackheads don't have a bunch of crack around them. They're like, well, I'm out of money. They're, fucking, they're usually running out of crack. Right. They're fucking running around and trying to sell something at the pawn shop that's worthless. Worthless. Like, don't fucking show up with their mom's iron. Hey, what's this worth? It's fucking worth a dollar, I guess. Oh, come I on, now, I'll give you a fiver. It's a fucking iron. Most, they're not even that expensive to buy. Um, here's Chris. Chris, you're on the Run of Fish show. Hey, what's going on? Um, what can I do for you, buddy? <laughs> uh, I never thought, like, the whole sex addiction, you know, thing or anything like that was real. Until I decided to stop trying to look at pornography. Uh-huh. I found out how fucking hard it is to stop doing it. I mean, it may not be an addiction, any of the you know, literal definitions, but it's, you know, it's been as hard for me to stop doing that as it's been to, to quit smoking. All right, well, let's go back through your pornography thing. Is it 100% um, on the computer? Yeah. All right, so basically... You know, that computer is like having 1970s Times Square right in your fucking living room. Yeah. 24 hours You know, a day. it's there constantly. Never leaves. I mean, those guys used to have to fucking get in the car, find a place to park, just to sit and watch shit like this. be fucking shady as fuck, right? Yeah. Like... And then, yeah, they were considered the sleaziest fucking dudes on the planet. And you can find it for free now. Yeah, and while your kids are fucking playing with their toys six feet away from you, and you're watching someone getting fucking DP'd. Um, now, does this fuck with your regular sex life? Um, actually, yeah. I noticed a big difference after I stopped, you know, jerking off seventeen times a week. Uh, it makes a it makes a pretty significant impact. In what way? In terms of you know staying power, shit like that. So how don't was get, your don't get floppy halfway in? All right, so you're saying. You're better with the pornography, or you're better without the pornography, with your without own chick. It. Yeah. Now, what does she say about your pornography stuff? That's the reason I stopped. She's just like bitching at you, like, dude. Every time I'm turning around, you're fucking jacking off at your desk. Pretty much. It was pick one. 
See, that's kind of fucking embarrassing. Like, that's the stuff that happens to people. Like, they miss their dad's birthday party because of their sex addiction. You know, that's when you start going, is it a problem? This is interrupting my life. You also talk to a lot of dudes who would rather fucking masturbate looking at the computer than they would being with their significant other. That's fucked up. And then, of course, the fucking, uh, the kind of weirdest one of all is that we have a generation of guys that have just learned about sex from hardcore porn, so they're kind of mistreating their high school girlfriends. Instead of it being this sweet thing where they're fooling around with a fucking bra and being uncomfortable with it and stages come along, they're just slapping the shit out of them with their dick and... <laughs> They don't know what foreplay is because every video just goes straight to the good stuff. So they're like, well, I guess we're going to start having hardcore sex right now. Um, Why aren't you gagging on it? <laughs> yeah. Here you go. And what way? Why can't I call you whore? That's all part of this. I'm going to write it on your forehead and show um, Let's go over here to Patrick. Patrick, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, guys. I had a note on your, your sex addiction. I've noticed there's no ugly men that are sex addicts, which is kind of like there's no uh, there's no attractive women that are crackheads. So I think it's an availability thing. Well, first of all, I think you know there are some attractive women that that start out as crackheads. They don't stay that way. Yeah. Now the ugly men stuff. Yes, you're not going to see them with models and shit like it's Californication. But a fucking bookstore has always been fucking filled with ugly fucking dudes. Yeah. And, and they'll get theirs if they have a, if they think they have a problem. It just won't be like fucking super hot broads. Yeah, it's not the it's, type that you would want to. But they'll take it because they want it. Um, let's go over to uh, Matt and Old Virginia. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey guys, this is Matt from that show Hoarders. I work. I'm one of the cleaning guys, and uh, we see the same thing. It's a compulsion. It's not an addiction. Mm -hmm. These guys can't help it. They'll let their world fall apart in front of them. Because they just can't help, but it's not an addiction. Addiction is a physical withdrawal. You don't have that chemically. All right, so the it's basically a sexual compulsion, right? Yeah, I mean, look at Tiger Woods. He is a great example. That guy was willing to lose it, everything mm -hmm. to get laid. And how do you get yourself to that to that place, man? It's a risk. You know, you need more and more. You just got to keep having it. So, like, you start off with, I mean, porn is always a great interview. You start off watching... You know, just some girl jerking off, and then you got to go to a live one, and then you got to go to a hooker. Like, you just, it's got to be more and more and more that risk, that rush, that instead of having that with your partner, you got to have it with yourself. So that addiction gets bigger and bigger because you need more and more every day. It's just like drugs. And how do you end up breaking out of something like this? Got to go to therapy, man. Same thing with the hoarders you work with. They have to go to therapy and find out what are they missing, what, what void are they filling in their life. With this addiction. Now, did you guys do the hoarder on 65th Street in uh, Manhattan? Was that? Yeah, we carved for that guy's apartment. Yeah, man. How's he Great. doing now? Uh, he's homeless again. Yeah. <laughs> doing eating what if he won't go to therapy. Uh, and so that's this guy's compulsion. If you don't deal with the actual trigger, what's happening, you can't get fixed. Everything, because I'd seen this guy run the neighborhood before, he literally would fill up. He had a moving truck full of just junk and two vans at one point, and they were yeah. just filled up with junk. And he was moving yeah, I mean, constantly, you, right? Yeah. You lose, you, no one wants to live this way. Same thing with sex addiction. It, it, it goes beyond the feeling and the joy of sex. And the same thing with the hoarding. They can't help it, man. It becomes their only 
part of their life, and they lose sight of the rest of reality. And if you, yeah, if you have a sex addiction, you don't even enjoy sex. No, it's not about the joy of sex. It's about the filling that rush and getting on. The, the, the getting off is different. It's just like when you switch from weed to heroin. It's no longer about having fun with your boys. Mm-hmm. It's about filling that void. Yeah, you're right about that. That is true. It's not like, hey, we all need to get together and do some heroin. You're like, <laughs> yeah, okay, everybody's got to leave. Uh, I got work to do. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, Matt, thanks for calling us, uh, buddy. Congrats uh, to Fezzi. Love the show, man. All right, thanks, buddy. You'll have to stop in sometime. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Uh, here's John in Tennessee. You're on the Run Fez show. Hey, Ron, I would look at it as most of what the mentality is in America these days. Most people are just lazy sons of bitches, so why would they want to spend 30, 45 minutes to an hour working one up with their significant other, other and uh, try to stay in good shape to do that versus just jerking one out in five, ten minutes on porn or something. I mean, it's just the way it is these days. It is kind of... Um, and see, the weird thing is that you will hear for uh, from people that they would much rather jack to some porn than be with their chick. I guess it's easier to do. Yeah, it's easier and... Then you don't have to be there for the after time, you know. You're not talking, or and also you don't have to please another person. Like the people that are considered good in bed, no one ever says he's so good in bed he can make himself get off in fucking 17 seconds. He comes so quick, you know. Crazy. But if you can do that as a masturbator, you're a pretty goddamn good masturbator. <laughs> no, your body. Well, it's gratification. That's all. You know, that's what eventually what it all just becomes. Just fucking, all right, I just want to get off immediately. Just get the jizz out. Like Hold on. All this jizz built up inside of me, and it, it needs to come out. Speaking of get the jizz out, are you guys doing the sports show this weekend? Yes, 7 to 9 p.m. What are you Tomorrow. doing at all? Could probably talk about Manning and Ursay. I'll be doing that same stuff, but on Sam's show. Oh. Oh. Sam's bugging me every week to do a show. He just thinks that it would be a real get to have Ronnie B on the show. Uh-huh. I've, I've always wanted you to come I on. never heard you ask me. Oh, why, I, why wouldn't you ask I, him? Of course I do. I might be doing Sam's show with Hans Bonance. Hans Bonance now? Sam Bonance. It seems like Sam's show is the place to be. Yeah, the Dave Max Sports Program is the place to be. I just don't want to constantly talk about sports. You guys ever get into anything else? Music, <laughs> politics, music? Sure. film. Come on. Come on in. It's a party. Oh, I didn't know that. A sports party? Come to the sports party. It's Saturday. Please. Uh, William, you're on Fez. Yeah, I think sometimes porn can help because, like, if you've been married 25, 30 years, things get bored between you and your lady. She don't do for you what she used to. You know, hey, you sit there and watch a little porn, whack off. Go back to the old lady. I mean, you know. No, no, no one's what? saying that there should not be some of that in your life. It's when it takes over the rest of your life. That's <laughs> when it becomes this addiction that they're talking about or a compulsion. And quite frankly, to get back to it, I'm not sure whether it matters whether it's an addiction or a compulsion. It's, I mean, well, both are fucking you up, right? That's what it becomes when you label it that. At that point, right? If it's compulsive, yeah. and you're not. I mean, what is the fucking difference? <laughs> really? I mean, if you really want to fix something, do you have to sit around and fight over the language? Um, by the way, we're talking about movies. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, that we're all waiting for, Wes Anderson, Can't wait. opens up the Cannes Film Festival this year. Oh, 
very sweet. That's awesome. I'm thinking about road tripping there. Being a can and walking the red carpet with those guys. Oh, let's do it. We're going to need a boat or a plane. I just had the greatest idea. Okay. Fucking Wes Anderson and his gang. Ronnie B and his gang. And let's just fucking just sit there. And I don't know whether Hans Bananas is in. But I think that this could work out for both fucking teams. I hope Hans Bananas is down. I saw Hans in the fucking uh, hallway. What was, what was he doing? I don't know. I was just going like this. Oh. Hands to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. And he was just like, he just started fucking ba dancing backwards a little bit, you know. <laughs> Hicks, what's this fucking pork artist thing that you seem to be obsessed with? All right. It's on the wire. It's called Watch a True Pork Artist at Work. It's this butcher, Tom Mylan. And he just, he basically made this uh, video in, in high def of him just breaking down an entire pig in about two and a half minutes. How long do you think it would take you to uh, be able to uh, a week. to carve up a pig? And it would be awful, right? It would be just fucking mangled. It would be a man it would just be a pile of mangled meat. I don't find carving a a cooked turkey or a chicken to be that easy. No, fuck no. Like I am much happier to fucking do it the uh the easy way and just have a fucking electric knife or something like oh, here I go. But to sit there with the two knives no. and be carving it very it's hard. It's gonna look like shit. Um, now when you're seeing this guy too doing this, uh, it also doesn't look like food. It looks more like an animal oh, that he's yeah. working on. But it also looks fucking awesome. It looks gorgeous. No. The meats. Oh yeah, the meats. Uh, a pig is a beautiful thing. They say it's because it's most like a human. Mm. The pig oh, is the animal oh. that's most like he that's grosses you out. Really? Yeah, I don't like this. It's sad. That looks like he's pulling bacon out oh, of it. That's so lard. He starts with just ripping mm. the lard out. I'd throw that immediately into a pan. Oh yeah. Get some fucking fat out of that shit. And yeah, and he just goes to work with like a couple of fucking thin knives. All right, that what he just did there is so fucking difficult to do with a knife. By the way, that knife is so sharp, you'd take your goddamn finger off with it. It's amazing to watch this guy. What What do you hate about it, uh, Fred? Well, you can still see its feet. You can still see right. what it used to be a pig. Like so that. what you don't what you want to act like is like we don't eat animals. Yeah. You want to act like it's food. Exactly. So that's what happened with the supermarket. Yeah, but see, I think that this would be uh, really great. Like, some guys um, do this, like, at their house. They'll buy a fucking pig like this and do it. If you got a you know big, deep freezer, guys can do it with a deer, too. I find it to be phenomenal. It's and awesome. good knife work is just it's crazy. the best. This fucking guy is an artist with this thing. He's just tearing it apart. But he's using a hacksaw at some of these points. Yeah, this exactly. guy would have been a great field medic during the Civil War, just taking off limbs that needed to come off. He'd have it done in seconds. There's the ribs. They're just banging out the ribs and the spare ribs. I'd be fucking constantly starving, though, I think. I don't think it would turn me off of food at all. Like, I want to cook some of this. Yeah. Why am I giving it to these shitty fucking customers? I know. I'd be like, get out every time they came into my butcher shop. Like Most of the butchers in my neighborhood closed, too, which is fucking terrible. Because I love going into a butcher shop. It's the only way to get meat. It's, getting it for it's the only way. Like, the meat should be wrapped in brown paper. Um, you fucking buy it. It's the, it's the best. Uh, Mike, Mike, you're on the fish show. 
Ronnie, if you ever get on Dave's show on Saturday, I hope you know how to share a mic. That cousin Brucey's always hogging the mic. You know, that's why the other thing, I'm like, yeah. oh, cousin Brucey must have really gave Dave and Hicks their fucking start in the business. Because they have him on constantly. He fucking, he wandered, cousin Brucey's wandering around. Dude, you wouldn't want to do this, really, Fred. You wouldn't want no. to be a guy who could sit there and butcher up a fucking hog like it was nothing. No, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to. It looks delicious. I don't know. Then I would tell other people once I could do it. Bring your fucking hog over here. I'll take care of it for you. Oh. Kevin, you're on a fez. Ronnie Beatty, love the show. Uh, you're right. This this is it's fascinating. My father-in-law is a is a meat cutter, and those knives are like razors. You'll cut yourself and not even realize it. And it's but it's an art. It's a total art. We do all our own meat. What do you guys get? Uh, they're mostly venison. We do a lot of deer hunting up here in upstate. And how quick can he uh, break a fucking deer down? How quick will it take him? Uh, we can do a whole deer in about two and a half hours. You gotta watch. That's, is this a show or what is it? This guy's just a booker, uh, butcher who put a book out, and then he made this video to. to uh, this is a demonstration of how to break down a pig. I honestly think a butcher shop is so much better than going to a fucking supermarket. Just go in and say to the guy, show me what you got. Show me the good stuff. Let's stop fucking around. It's a million times better. And it's a shitty meat fucking aisle. And that steak and Bernays sauce was like getting shot in the stomach yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't feeling that well afterwards. <laughs> I had to leave here early. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> I pretty much, I don't even think I chewed it. I just was dunking and just swallowing. Oh, I saw you. Oh. I saw you just eating it with your fucking hands. And just, I saw you drinking Bernays sauce. And then Staten Island looked over at me and she's like, oh, you gotta. And I had Bernays sauce in my fucking chin, like, like, uh, basically like a werewolf would do. <laughs> Got it on your chin. Oh, Staten Island. Oh, that. Oh, those beautiful pork chops. Jesus Christ. Oh, you get all the kinds of different stuff. All kinds of different stuff. From a fucking pig. Which part is bacon? That part? Or? No, the last part that he breaks down is bacon. Show, show me where. Is, we're not there yet? No, now, right now he's just breaking down the ribs. Right, so. so is it the outside that's the bacon? Yeah, like the, bo the bottom part of this last piece is the bacon. He's taking off the spare ribs right now. Spare ribs off. How come a fucking bacon tastes so different from a spare rib, though? So, it's the magic of a pig. It is the magic of a pig. There's the pig. Square them up in a St. Louis style. And that's it. There's our bacon. That looks fantastic. I did. That looks good. Um, here's Chef Darren. Hey, buddy. It's, um, I just want to comment on... Um, one of the biggest things that ticks me off as a chef is people with the attitude that they don't know where the food comes from and the fact that they don't respect the animals from. I think it was Fred who said that he would be disgusted breaking down his own pig, and I just don't get that mentality. Everyone should be visceral and see their food in its natural form before they see it. See, that was, to me, the thing that about Blue Hill that was so amazing is to walk around the farm have them even describe it to you, and then you go into the restaurant, and it makes you look at 
the world a little differently. It's to the point now, um, Ron, that change the term in slaughterhouses. We don't slaughter anymore. We harvest animals. Right. And it just really, to me, it um, just makes me sick that people have no respect for the animal and have no knowledge. So, I mean, even the fact that people don't realize that bacon is from the hind quarter of a pig and the spare rib is from the loin area. You know, people should know where what they're eating and where it's from. There was a thing of Mark Zuckerberg was doing this with a hog, and he was he was going to spend a year not he would only eat things that he was involved with. Yeah. You know what I mean? That he had grown his own shit. Hunting, yeah, right? hunted it or butchered it himself to just be connected, so that you're not mindlessly eating like we we do as Americans. You know what I mean? And then you're also, when you think about it, to know what this animal more or less is sacrificed, and then you don't finish the meat, you know, you'll take a couple bites and throw it out. It It really is insane. Or how difficult it is to get that vegetable all the way to the plate, and then you're acting like you're going to push that to the side. (laughs) You you wouldn't do that because it's months and months and months of work. Yeah. I mean, it's... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, no. look at the fact that we're now getting fresh citrus in the middle of winter. You know, we're getting stuff shipped from all around the world that we really shouldn't be eating because it's just not natural to our life cycles. It is bizarre. It is very, very bizarre. Yeah, but I like pears all year round. If I don't get. I know you do, but they're not pears, dude. That's pears. no, they're not. It is not a pear like off a tree. It is something completely different, and you're eating some chemicals that are shaped like a pear. Is where you get because the world works in a certain way that there's seasons, and seasonal food is exactly the way humans are supposed to to live. Well, I like my pear shapes, then. You do like pear shapes. But in the meantime, you have gray skin. And it's very, very... Non- it, you're ashen at all times. All right, thanks, Darren. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Here's uh, Finley in Akron. You're on a fez. Ron B., love the show, man. Yeah. Uh, just want to say that uh, I I used to be a, uh, you know, a butcher or whatever meat guy at the... Uh, Italian Deli in high school and college, and man, I just tell you what, there's something really relaxing and uh, enjoyable about you know slicing up a pig. What is it that's so relaxing about it? I don't know. I don't know. It just feels natural to be like preparing and then seeing the whole process done and stuff. And I don't know. I just, I, I enjoy it. I, I'm a I work in the corporate world now, but I'm, I miss doing that sometimes. Um, I know a guy that was doing the butcher thing for a while, and he misses it as well. He and he's working on a TV show. Oh, but he sure. kind of like apprenticed as a butcher, and he got to know everything about it, and he was fascinated with it. But, you know, it was like summer jobs for him. Well, this guy in the video, I would love to do that. That looks fun as fuck. You think it's fun, but it takes you so long before you're that dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the way that you sit around and watch those deep-sea fishing shows right. <laughs> that you love. To actually fucking, what it puts in to make it in there. To not cut off your fingers is yeah. fucking tough enough. You're going to end up with a, a lot of cuts before you're any good. Could you imagine, like, you're a butcher and doing the Fez thing of, I'm locking up today, I'm not into it today? You've got to fucking be in the moment all the time. You can't be crashing. You can't be weirding. You got to stay with it. Um, Jason, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, two thirteen eighty one here. Oh, old school. Yeah. Wah. Um. Anyway, I uh, you're from you're from Philadelphia, so you know about Hatfield pork. Sure. 
Um, I took a class trip there when I was in culinary arts school, and they would have us going through the catwalks and everything and watching the whole process of slicing the pig and everything. It would turn me off meat forever because at the end of the tour, they gave you a little beef jerky. And, you know, we went through the whole process just slicing the pig in two seconds, like you said, that had the sharpest knives. So right the, in the whole convection, you know, convection line it was crazy. So from you saying it, you're like, I can't do this. I can't be a part of this. No, it just totally turned me off of cooking totally. I just wanted to be a baker from then on. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, there's an interesting thing because there are people that feel that way, that they honestly get into their head that this is a living thing. If you go back to the Native Americans and they would do a prayer before their meal, but instead of being to some god, some disconnected thing, they would pray directly to the animal and be saying, you've given yourself so that we uh, can go on, or my family, my tribe, all of us go on. You've sacrificed yourself to us, and it's much appreciated, and we'll live a good life. And they understood that one thing becomes another in nature, yeah. yeah. Where we are so fucking disconnected, and not only that, but you take a guy like UCB Fred here, and he's cocky about it. He thinks it's Funny, he doesn't know where his food comes from. Terrible. Um, Having a good time. Yeah, are you fucking yeah. proud of yourself now? Because to me, you're no better than a fucking serial killer. Well, when you say it like that, I guess I feel less proud. Well, feel even less than that. All right. Um, let's go to Mike and Philly. You're on a fez. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Good. Um, yeah, I'm a cook down here in Philly, and we actually purchase uh, lamb from uh, the farms up in uh, Lancaster County, but it's not cost-effective for them to, you know, do the butchering, so we have to go up there and wrangle them up, slit their throats, you know, hang them, skin them, and then butcher them ourselves um, for the restaurant. And there's something very satisfying, especially when you uh, smell like the lanolin on your hands, like after you're done butchering them. It's, uh, it's very satisfying. It makes you feel like, you know, you, you put... You actually put the work in so the meat actually tastes better, if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, the first time you did it, though, was it really rough? Well, yeah, <laughs> it was because, you know, I expected us to go up there and just, like, shoot them with a twenty two. Right. And the farmers up there are like, no, you got to slit their throat. Um, and it's like watching the blood come out is just a little rough the first time, but, uh, yeah, you get used to it. <sighs> it seems like a tough slit in the throat would be tough. It really would be. <laughs> um... Oh, then it just starts freaking out because oh, yeah, and it just shoots blood everywhere. It's got to oh. take forever to bleed out. No, you just, Paul, you're on Ryan Fez. Hello, is your refrigerator running? Matt, you're on the Ryan Fez show. Matt. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, love the show, guys. Um, I was just calling uh, about the commercial meat and not going to the grocery store and getting stuff like that. Uh, you know, Ted Nugent himself, he uh, hasn't eaten commercial meat since, like, 1985 or some shit like that. And, and he uh, kills and cleans and uh, eats all his own animal and doesn't even get any meat from any of the supermarkets. Yes, we're all very familiar with how Ted Nugent yes. gets his food. <laughs> he's explained it. Time and time. There's not a show that he's ever been on that he's not talking about it. He likes the hunts from yeah. right here. Um, let's go over to Mike in Florida. You're on my face. Hey, how you doing, Ron? Good. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough as a young kid to 
grow up in one of the largest pork slaughterhouses in North America. My dad worked there, and you'd be amazed at how it starts out. The pigs and the way they run them through a de-hairer, then they actually chain them up and they go through upside down to a guy that's called the sticker. He's actually a gentleman who slits their throat as they bleed out onto the floor. And then they run through different conveyor parts, and there's a guy who's called a splitter. He's actually holding what you would call a giant, uh, I don't know, almost like a rotisserie saw and splits them down the middle of the chest, and you have to go to one side so you don't cut the head off so the head stays on and everything. And then they end up, you know, gutted, of course, and all that. And then you end up going through the uh, cut floor. You have your kill floor and your cut floor in these giant places. And it's just amazing what these guys do with these knives. They've got one that's called a wizard blade, and it's actually air-powered. And it could take your arm off with just a little touch. I like that one from around here. When these guys start fucking slacking on me. Oh, Jesus. Just coming after you with a fucking wizard blade. I don't want that. We're not slacking off. We're doing our work. Are you? Yeah, we're doing great. You tell that to wizard blade. Uh, don't no. talk to me. Talk to <laughs> wizard blade. <laughs> wizard blade, we're doing great. Drop that fucking fake pear. I'll cut your hand off with that pear. Oh, it's so delicious. Uh, Jeff, you're on Run Fez. Hey, Ron. Yeah. Hey, just want to tell you a little egg story. I, I've got a guy that brings me fresh eggs here. Fucking incredible. About every week or so, maybe every two weeks, he'll bring me a big tray, about 30 eggs on them. They got a little chicken shit on them and stuff. You got to wash them off. But they're like all different colors. Some of them are kind of greenish blue, some are brown, some are white. But my father in law is so hooked into industrialized store bought food, he can't eat anything but a perfect white store bought egg in the fucking carton and all this shit. And these eggs are just incredible. It just blows me away how people won't eat. You know, anything that they're not used to and accustomed to that's processed and colorized. It's like oranges. Some of the best oranges you get, they're not perfect orange colored and, 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 and uniform. Some of them are kind of ugly, but they're freaking incredible because they're just, that's the way they're supposed to be. Yeah, you're right. You are 100% right that we've getting into this thing that we want things to look like uh, plastic. I don't think it is incredible unless it's the entire package of looking like an orange and tasting like an orange. You don't know what a fucking orange tastes like. You yeah, don't do. know. I'm telling you that you don't. It tastes like orange, right? No, you don't know until you're fucking close to the places and getting them in fucking season. That's the thing. It's like most people say, I don't like pineapple because you've never had a fucking pineapple in the islands. It's a completely different thing. The stuff that they sell in a store doesn't taste like pineapple. The watermelon that they sell now in a in a store doesn't taste like watermelon. The fucking cantaloupe doesn't taste like it. I've yeah. never had a tasty pear in my life. Every pear I've ever had. Was You're from... eating like this fucking idiot, where it's just fake pears. Yeah, I don't, I don't eat them anymore. Um, let's go over to uh, let's go over to Gary in Virginia. You're in my fest. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, buddies. Uh, I kind of think it's funny that the guy wants to be a chef but then can't figure out, you know, what, how they get the meat. As a kid, I grew up on a farm. They used to have a crew of guys that would go around every fall and come and slaughter your hogs for you. And I remember watching them as a kid where they would jump into the pen, basically cut their throat from uh, right below the chin right down to the chest bone, chase them till they bled out so they could hang them up and clean them. But the best part was is we would always uh, – barbecue one that day and the next day the meat from this thing so fresh so tender there is there is a nothing better in the world uh than having meat that's never been frozen packaged and sitting for a month or two it's just incredible yeah i don't think most of us know what that's like 
Uh, Jack, Iowa, you're on the Run of Fish show. Hey, Ronnie. I went up for an elk plant up in Austin, Minnesota here recently. They go through 18,000 hogs a day up there. Jeez. 18,000 a day. Fuck. That, hey, that's Sam. They love it worldwide. It's a big hit over in Japan. I'm sure. Peace. Uh, Rob in Utah, you're on Running Fez. Hey, Ronnie B. Yeah, the. Uh you gotta try fresh side pork. It's uh, actually the bacon or the yeah, the bacon before it's cured. Bacon's cured and the side pork ain't cured. It's then you just put a salt and pepper, you know, fry it up in the pan like you would bacon, but it's the best thing in the world. It's a lot better than bacon. But what's the difference in the taste? What are you tasting differently? Well, you, the bacon's cured and it's just like eating a fried pork pork chop, you know. It's ham and bacon are cured, smoked. Uh huh. And this is before they cure the bacon. It's just fresh belly off the pig, which is the you know what they make the bacon out of. You can get that at butcher shops. Well, when we have a pig slaughtered, that's what we have is fresh side pork made instead of the bacon because you know you can get bacon anywhere. All right, I appreciate it, man. Um, Hi, Rob. Here's uh, Bill and Charlotte. Hey, buddies. Um, yeah, you go to places like Argentina and Brazil. Uh, butchery is definitely an art form. I was watching one of those Andrew Zimmern shows last night. He was in Argentina. Uh, this guy was feeding him uh, cuts of meat you'd never seen in an American steakhouse. And Zimmern was practically, he was ready to fucking cry because he had never had anything that good. And I think we, we've been sold on, you know, go to Outback or, you know, Lone Star. And we, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. I wish I could eat uh, dinner in Argentina every single night. I do. That'd be dope. Yeah. Well, like an Outback in Argentina? What are you talking about in Outback? Oh, the guy said Outback Steakhouse. What were thinking about? I wonder what happened to you, Fred. You seem to be losing ground here. What? You seem like you, you're paying less and less what happened to your attention brain? to the show. You're so fucking pro-bed pairs. You're obviously falling behind in your UCB classes. Yeah, there's... Where they're disgusted with you. They're they pissed. are? I'm supposed to go down and have a meeting with them. Oh, boy. They should tell me to my face so I know. I don't think they should be going to They say you're leaning on your accents. Oh. Uh, you think that a character is an accent instead of making it a full fucking person. I thought that's what it was. Flesh it out! Can I tell you something? Don't put on a costume. Dress like the character. Okay. Dress as the character would during, in the daytime. Okay. I just worry about him. Hicks. What? Uh, I mean, he's in level 400 now, and he might be in above his head. He might he is. be. Is it crazy to hold him back a semester? No. Put him back with the 300s, or maybe even no. the 200? Please, I don't want to take summer classes. 300. Summer classes had you a blast. What do you, where do you go to meet your girlfriend? Down in Philly, or she come up here? Uh, every Yeah, we alternate. I went down to Philly once. She came up here. When did you go down to Philly? About a month ago. Good. Next time you go down, I need you to pick something up for me. Okay. Don't fucking look in there, and don't let anybody else say it. What is it? Just a fucking thing that you're coming back. Just something inside of a box. I'm going to get really curious, though. I'm going to want to peek inside. You know what oh. fucking curiosity killed, right? The guy who peeked inside. Oh, no. That's an old fucking saying. You're just, you're moving something. You're not a fucking professional peeker here. You're just fucking <sighs> moving something for Ron. That's it. I just Peekers eat sneakers. That's what I like to fucking say. You like that? You like some fucking natural fucking organic sneakers in your mouth? Oh, I don't like the mm. taste of rubber. Mm. You want to eat a big full, eat a big bowl of kick face? 
Because no. it's fucking coming your way. <laughs> no. You want kick face, don't you? <laughs> All right, fine. I won't peek in the box. Too late. Can I yeah, show you? You've already fucking, fucking ruined it. Now, even if you say you know, you know you're yeah. going to fucking look into it. I'm going to have your girlfriend fucking just bring it up here. Oh. Maybe she's fucking trustworthy. Sure. She'll rat hole it. <laughs> do, do, do. Did you see this James uh, Cameron story? He's taken his little homemade submarine down seven miles deep. <laughs> and what the he's fuck? He's laying on the butt. This has done, been done once by the Navy in history, and they were only able to stay down there 20 minutes, and they didn't take any pictures. He's going down in this crevice in the middle of the ocean, down seven miles, laying on the bottom for six hours, and shooting these weird creatures that they have down there. Those things are creepy. I mean, I've seen, I think, like, deep water fucking fish, and they have like they look like dinosaurs. They're horrifying looking. Well, they shouldn't even be living because they don't get light. We don't understand how it happens. And then some of them will make their own light. They'll oh, yeah. just start, like, they're like fucking swimming light bulbs. It's the antenna popping out of their fucking head, and it's just glowing. That's the weird fucking deal. How much money does Cameron have that he could build better shit than the fucking Navy? He had Titanic and Avatar, which were the two biggest movies ever. He's got all the money he needs. And now he's going to live the abyss. Uh, he's more like Steve Zizo, and a friend of mine who is in the science community saw Cameron speaking in front of scientists, and they said scientists were laughing at him and walking out, and he didn't give a shit, because he was basically telling them how to roll. And this was like seven years ago. This was like when, before he even got the next big fucking movie. He's just com comfortable and confident in himself. Fuck yeah. And he was wearing a little red fucking ski cap and a blue fucking suit. It's a good look. And having a Cameron ring. Join the Cameron Society. <laughs> wonder if he has any illegitimate children. He hired one guy just to sing Portuguese David Bowie all day. No, you know, when you get to the end of that, that wasn't even his son, I don't think. It wasn't? No, because remember the wife said that he shoots blanks. Yeah. It's been so long since I saw it. <laughs> He doesn't like movies. I liked him. I didn't he hates Lebowski. He well, hates Anderson. What are you doing? Don't give the wine to him. He doesn't know anything about wine. Give it to me. I'm the one who decides. <laughs> That's my favorite fucking scene. I love that fucking movie. That when he throws the fucking ring away, I mean the earring away, and the other guy just goes and picks it up immediately. <laughs> I did like that part. I like when fucking Larry just goes buck wild. Fifteen years ago today, we lost uh, Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls! Big ups to Biggie, BK, all day. I know this because Earl's become... He used to be Mr. Obituary, and now he's Mr. Death Anniversary. That's, that's a downer, Earl. Mm. But he gets shot up. All right? It's fucking sad. Well, he likes to talk about it. Look, you're just going back to Cali. Cali? California? Yes. Okay. There's a great video we have up today of this Brass Balls lottery winner still using her food stamps after <laughs> a million bucks. Good. I like a that. A million bucks. I like I like that. Hey, you know, they're going to take fucking money. Tax. And she's 24. <laughs> what? She's not like an older woman. I'm so pissed when young people win the lottery. You like when that old lady in 83 won it up in Rhode Island the other day? I'm pissed because it's not me. <laughs> I told you, you're never going to win. Fuck you, Fred. All right. I'm you just gotta, trying to help you out. Somebody wins. You're, you got to be in to win it. 
That, that doesn't the make sense. Lady, old lady up, up, up fucking wherever, Rhode Island, has just as much chance as me fucking handed. The odds are so bad. No shit. It's the lottery. Somebody well, said this to me, that the odds are exactly the same whether you buy a ticket or not. <laughs> Buying the ticket Fuck. doesn't even change your odds of winning it. Fuck me. Like, if you tried to put it in perspective, if you were, if you had, like, every single NFL stadium filled and only one person was going to win a prize, you would say that's kind of a shitty chance you would win something. But Except then multiply pro- that by, like, 10 or 20, and you... It's a lot more than that. Yeah, when you take more- that other one, there's, like, hundreds of millions of tickets. You're one out of hundreds of millions. Like, yeah. the odds are so slim that you're never going to win. And yet, somebody has to fucking win. Yeah, yeah someone wins, all right? There's fucking lists by- of lottery winners. By the way, the guy who said... You got to be in it to win it. Should get a fucking check every time that comes up, because that is one of the most repeated fucking phrases. I tell that to every place that I work, where they're like, "We're going to go buy lottery tickets." I'm like, oh, "You're, never, you're not going to win." And they go, "You ever you hear the dickhead that fucking doesn't join in with the rest of the guys?" Yes. <laughs> Someone's getting sued right now. I'm doing it for like seventy-seven million. All his fucking like five or six of his fucking workmates. Like, yay, we usually go in together. We want a piece of that. Any work group that wins, there is a guy suing. Why though? Because he played every other week but the winning week. That's he's the fucking jinx. I don't fucking see, though. That's the thing. You've got to... Every week is a new week. Yeah. Every week is a new week. Those guys are just assholes. They're just sour fucking grapes. Well, sometimes someone is out sick. And that can yes. Be, yeah, that that's happens. the fucking thing. It's fate or whatever the fuck if you want to call If you're out it. sick and you don't call and say, Hicks cover for me, throw my buck in, yeah. then you fucked up. That's like me saying, I should be in it. I could pick those fucking numbers easy enough. I like 50. I like 33. This is great numbers. I always talk about them. That doesn't make... See, the weird thing is, is you know how people always play their birthday and shit? Yeah. yeah. I've never seen my birthday pop up. You know what I mean? Like, why would I be playing it? No, see, having set numbers is the way to drive yourself insane. Because if, you know, it comes in, you don't play it. You were right about that, dude. Kill yourself. Just blow your fucking brains out. I hate the people that play set numbers. No, just quick pick me. Come on, random Just chance. every time it's random, and then you're not sitting around mm-hmm. fucking feeling, taking it. You take it much more personal when you have set numbers. Oh, yeah. Fez, you still playing your dad's numbers? Yep. I, I do three tickets of set numbers and two quick picks. So so I do the random and the set to try to cover all my bases on it. How much time do you spend doing your lottery? No. Um, well, How much time and money is spent in lottery? I'm probably spending uh, $5 a week to, uh, to get my tickets. And then it's and then I always lose my card, so I have to stop and uh, scratch out the little squares again like I'm taking an SAT test or something. So I'm probably spending a good hour a week on it. So that becomes more of a problem. Yeah, you know, investing the hour of a week is a lot more annoying than the five bucks to me. I just go up to my guy in my neighborhood, flash three or five, and just give him <laughs> hand signals, and he knows exactly what to bring me. <laughs> Have you ever hit for anything? Maybe like, I've maybe hit, like, for me, uh, I can't remember the exact payout, 20 bucks or something. Like, nothing I, fucking real. I've never hit that high. But you've lost so much money now from playing. Look, this like, is a just... fucking investment, all right? And if you keep fucking getting down on me, I'm going to get really upset. If you're going to invest, you'd have to buy a lot more lottery tickets. Here's what no I don't understand now about the random numbers. See, I can see picking my own random numbers, yeah. but when you ask the machine to do it, yeah. now you're asking for two kind of machines, 
to come up randomly with the same numbers. You're asking one machine to do it on their own, and another, and I do consider that fucking ping pong thing as a kind of a machine to, again, randomly come up with those numbers. That is bizarre. See, what I do is playing the lottery. If I'm spending more, I'm, I'm buying more than one ticket. Is I don't buy more than one ticket from the same place because say I send me five dollar Mega Million, there'll be similar numbers all over the fucking thing. So fuck that uh, shit. I, right. So I go to like five different bodegas, <laughs> spend a dollar each. See, you get real rare. I, get, I have to really randomize this shit. My problem with you is that that sounds like. <laughs> I'm fucking compulsive addict. This is the annoying thing about the lottery, though. Is that, like You're People annoying. explain this, and you explain, like, oh, these machines are doing it. How absurd it is. And people are like, oh, I don't care. I still want to do it. Like, you can explain how stupid and absurd and illogical it is, and people don't care. Yeah, but here's the thing. You, th people need this thought because they have no other future. You, you're buying into the fantasy of, on my life could be better. But you could be taking this time that you're investing in trying to win the lottery and then, I don't know, invest in something else. Like what? To make yourself better. Invest in better things, like start saving the money for something you really would enjoy. I don't know. What? What you would you be saving? Five bucks a week. It's going to take me to save $300 million. That's what he fucking wants. <laughs> he doesn't. Seriously, he doesn't want to take a French class, you fucking maniac. But you've never hit and you never will hit. And if you he save might. all the money he you spent. He might fucking hit. Fuck no, he you, won't. Fred. <laughs> Fred, no. you are so out of the payout. No, here's the thing, Fred. Beyond that, you can't sit here and say that he won't ever hit. I, you can say the odds are stacked against yeah, him. Oh yeah, he believes that. I can say it, and the odds are in my favor that he'll never win. Yes, the odds are in your favor. But also, the odds are in his favor that he will win before you, the guy who doesn't play. Dick. He's got a chance where you have zero chance. That's right. Um, I play a little bit of this girl who's still living on her food stamps. <laughs> we all know times are tight. According to one study, a quarter of Michigan households receive food assistance. So when we got the tip, a local lady who just won a million bucks in the state Dead lottery garage. was also on a bridge card. We had to see what was going on here. This is 24-year-old Amanda Clayton this fall, holding up her big million-dollar check she won from the Michigan State Lottery. Got the winning digits. Many of us dream of being this lucky. For Amanda, her dream came true. So what's the problem? Well, the defenders got an email about Clayton's big winnings and the fact she still was on a bridge card. So we tracked Amanda Clayton down to this Lincoln Park home, and yep, she was moving. Now that she had struck it rich... She was going to buy a new house. This is the home she bought for cash. We also learned she bought a new car as well. Again, what you would expect from a lottery winner. But what else we found, you don't expect. Defender hitting cameras following Amanda where she later admits to us when shopping, she uses a bridge card to pay for her groceries. She gets $200 a month. Nice. $200 from you, the taxpayer. We decided to see what Clayton had to say for herself. I found her recently unloading the groceries out of her car. Just wanted to find out if you thought that was a right thing to do ethically or why you're still taking money from the state. Um, well, I thought that they would cut me off, but since they didn't, I thought maybe it was okay because I'm not working. But I'm not working. Million yes. dollars. No, I want a million, right. but... 
after I took the lump sum, it dropped down to 700000 And then after taxes, it was just a little bit over half. Don't you think there's something wrong there? Taxpayers are really struggling that really need that money. Just, do you really think you have a right to that money? I mean, I kind of do. <laughs> Good. I feel that it's okay because, I mean, I have no income and I have bills to pay. I have two houses. I have so two houses. How do taxpayers feel about this unemployed lottery winner she, living off of... Uh, she actually looks like that fucking, um, that madam that got busted out there years ago. Now she's on Celebrity Rehab. Yeah, uh, uh, Heidi Fleiss. Yeah, she has a Heidi Fleiss look about her. I don't like her, too, idea of, hey, I thought that they were going to fucking shut it down. That's a very good point. And when they didn't, I thought that it meant I'm supposed to have it. And the taxpayers are paying for that. She's getting 200 a month. Well, she just gave the taxpayers $200,000 or whatever the fuck from her fucking taxes off her weddings. Here's the other fucking part of it that's funny. You really think that this is a major problem that you're fucking, how much money are you spending following her around with this film crew? <laughs> it's not like this is happening a lot. This is just to make people pissed off. An expose of people winning the lottery and still using their bank. Fred, I, I think, I mean, you're friends with Chris. I think you should be supportive of him and him playing the lottery. Yeah. And tell no. him that he has a good chance that he can this win. It's fucking hurtful. He'll he, never win. He Fuck believes you. in it, though. Here's, um, let's go over here to Jason, your Fez. Hey, Riley Fez. Hey, uh, before I get to my point, I'm from Detroit. This is not the first person in Michigan who's won the lottery and continue to take uh, food stamps. Michigan's is, uh, one nutty place. Uh, also, uh, I don't know why uh, UCB fed so against uh, people playing the lottery. I mean, he's on UCB, uh, UCB uh, whatever. There's no guarantee he's going to become famous off of that. I mean, normal people walk down the street and get uh, picked up to be uh, TV stars. I mean, but, so why go? But I'm putting in time and skill like to I'm actually doing things to better myself to better my chances. The lottery is pure chance. It's yeah, but here's luck. your thing. Where else, where else are you going to go with those improv skills? Nowhere. You're not going to What are you going to do? Fucking end up being a character in a theme park? Maybe. You like that, huh? Well, when I make this fucking money, Hicks never has to worry about that. That's right. I'm If bald. anything, I like to see you fucking hook up with that chick. <laughs> um Here's Mike in Florida. Mike, go ahead, pal. Hey, uh Fez already won the lottery when Ronnie picked him as a partner, but if he was to win it again, I'm wondering, would he keep working? Oh, yeah, I, w I would still be doing things. Yes, I would still come in. <laughs> yes, of course I would. Me laying around on the couch with a lotto jackpot is the surest way to uh, another stent. You'd rather come in here and lay around on our couch all day. Um, let's go over to Russ. Russ, you're on my face. Hey, goodbye. Good afternoon. Hey, um, two things, Ron. One, Fezzi has it right that 40% of the jackpot winners were picked by the computer. And you should be Fred, you little piece of shit. I missed by one number of winning a million dollars. And that one number was, it was 31. I had chosen 30. Wow. Wow. $1 my consolation prize, 600 bucks. Un-fucking believable. Fucking cry. That's worse. Well, now you're not. That's worse. You'll definitely never win now because you were so close. The odds of you. Why are you so awful, Fred? Look at the dream killer, Fred. You are, man. Mr. Fucking Reality. Just everything's based yeah. in his sober fucking brain. I'm a reality check. Straight edge, fuck. Uh, Thomas, you're my fence. 
wow, that's fucking crazy. That guy will never forget that number 31. No. Fuck no. Okay, it's hard. <laughs> I'm sick for him. Yeah, I know. But, hey, if you listen to that uh, 24-year-old girl again, if you play it back, she her vernacular and just the way she delivers sounds just like UCB Fred's voice. I know. She's no fucking different. She's just sitting there sucking off the fucking dreams mm-hmm. and hopes of other people. Yeah. I feel good about you. Just like Fred. No sucking off dreams. There's something here. really sexy about that girl. <laughs> she got that money. She's balling out. She's got two houses and a car. And fucking benefits. She got Bennies. She got her Bennies. <laughs> She's rocking Bennies. Look, I got two houses and no income. How do you expect me? I still got to put Thanks. groceries on the table, lady. Rick, you're on a Fez. Hey, I, I want to say, Fez, I, was, I had tears in my eyes a couple of weeks ago when you came out. Hey, I don't know why everybody's so upset. This girl paid over $200,000 in income tax. She said it herself. I'm pretty sure she has a perfectly fine vagina. Uh, that vagina's fucking all busted up just from living in Michigan. Yeah. This is what it fucking takes to get by. I love the film. Why does she need the two little shitty houses? Paying cash for them. Why would, yeah, why wouldn't she just sell one of them? She summers in one. Across the street. <laughs> she goes across the street to her fucking summer These home. wonderful Michigan summers. And she took the lump sum, so she gets less. Oh, so you're an asshole who would take it over the fucking 20 years? Yes, because then you would oh, get more. It's like, having a, it's like having a job you wouldn't have to work Fuck for. Fuck that. What if you die? What if you fucking die? Then all that money fucking goes back to the fucking state. Fuck that shit. They don't give it to your heirs? Uh, no, I don't think so, if, if you haven't gotten it yet. Those cock fucks. That's fine. They're, They're running you. such a fucking hustle here. Yes, the lottery's and a you, scam. No, it... Taking the fucking cash cash installments over 20 years, that's the scam. It's all about the lump sum. That's a nice, comfortable... Give me all that money. <laughs> or whatever, half, whatever the fuck it is. Money, I gotta get the fuck money, money. <laughs> I like this fucking chick, though. We should bring her in here. Yeah, I'll book her. Look at people writing. You deserve it, honey. It's all about you. Everyone's there's a lot of people sticking up for her, though. Good. I'm fucking uh, proud of them. I mean, she was right. They should have taken her off. Yeah, it ain't my job. Yeah. It's like okay. So I give me some money. Let's go. James, you're on the Run of Fez show. James. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Fred uh, just said that that guy that was one number off, uh, his chances aren't as good anymore. And that's not how statistics work. Like, it's called stochasticity. Anybody that, uh, your statistics don't change, your chances don't change just because you were close before. You have just as good of a chance now. Exactly, Fred. You know, you do the math of a Chicago housekeeper. That's what you should be. Just the most Chicago housekeeper. Where'd you learn your math? School. Fucking UCB. Yes. Bringing in fresh towels? No. Look, I know my maths. I'm going to improv this equation. It's probably seven. I think your chances are worse. You don't know anything about anything, Fred. Well, you do know about improv. You're fucking really good at that. Thank you. While you do this, improv somebody who supports his friends gambling. Yeah. Maybe that could be a new fucking character. Oh, motherfucker. You should gamble every week. That'd be really good for you. You should spend all your money on... sarcasm. On... You know... Sarcasm doesn't fucking work. Yeah, the words themselves are good, but the inflection makes me doubt the Yeah, sincerity. on the transcript, they look fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Speaking of transcripts, the Rob Riggle interview is up right now.
on the uh, iBang. Very, very funny guy. Uh, I'm a giant Rob Regal fan. And this is one of your heroes. Yes, UCB alumni. And he was very, very cool. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to make a prediction about Rob Riggle. I'm going to make it now for you. Mm -hmm. He's the next Zach Galifianakis. He's the next Wolf Farrell. Wow. That's a big prediction. And then go over, check him out. And you're going to be able to say this. I knew that. I saw that shit coming years ago. I knew that I was all down. I already knew. He's got that one character I think they're trying to make into a movie, he, like a newscaster that he does, that was in The Ten and Children's Hospital. He's been on... Show it to me. See, see if you can find it online. All right. I like when he pay, plays a cop. I would always have him play oh, yeah. a cop because he's like a fucking... Like an overconfident fucking asshole cop is the funniest thing in the world to me. He nails it. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, by the way, while we're waiting for this... The Filtered Excellence uh, this week. Check out the Magic Johnson documentary link up there. The Magic Johnson story is... Uh, I think if it wasn't for OJ, that would have been the story of the 90s. That what, When that happened, Magic Johnson getting AIDS or HIV and uh, OJ murdering his wife and a waiter and I believe a housekeeper. No, that never even gets brought up. But those were the two big stories of the 90s. So check that out on Filtered Excellence. And uh, check out the Rob Regal. Um, have you found this character? It's nowhere on YouTube or anything? I can't remember the name of it. Oh, Jesus. How about Rob Regal? Just put that in YouTube. Rob Regal Newscaster. Right. Newscaster. Rob Regal Newscaster. How fucking hard is that, oh, Fred? fucking search game up. Don't they teach you how to search over there at UCB? What the fuck? It's called The Announcement, by the way. The Michael... Uh, not Michael, Magic Johnson. Check that out over on the Interrobang under Filtered Excellence. Um, Matt, Minnesota, you're on the Run of Fez show. We're forgetting a really important fact of the lottery, and that's that the lotteries are run by the state. So really, Fez and Hicks are supporting the infrastructure of mm -hmm. the state. Yeah, that's right. I care about the roads and you the schools. Know. You know how bad the Long Island Expressway is right now? That's just constant in construction. Thanks for bringing that up. Fuck you, Fred. Oh, come on. Um, here's Cameron. Cameron, you're on a fish show. Yeah. Let's go over here to Floyd, New Hampshire. You're on a fish. Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. I just want to tell Pepper, what up? keep his, hey, hey, what up, kid? Keep hope alive. My dad hit a million-dollar scratch ticket nice. in Massachusetts. See? It can and happen. the odds were exactly one in 32 million. So you've got a chance. I know. Now, here's the weird thing, too. The hitting the million, it's, like, nice because it's, like, life-changing, but not so life-changing. Like, I'm still going to yeah. have to pull down. Yeah, right. Shit. That not like when you win three hundred million and suddenly your life becomes a fucking nightmare of people trying to fucking come after you, <laughs> you for it. Go for oh, it still happens. Yeah, it still happens. People do say immediately, oh, "Look, my family needs money." Within two weeks, my mom was getting um, fruit baskets from financial companies and things like that. They're awful. I They're mean, all over her. People, yeah. all over her. Um, but on the darker side of that, Pep. Yeah. 
he did get lung cancer and die, so I don't know if you want to win it or not. Wow. Right, that works out for you a little bit, though, <laughs> still, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, fucking yeah. trickle down. Jeez. Take the lump sum. <laughs> no, there's no option on that ticket in mass. Oh. All right, buddy. Talk to you Thanks, soon. buddy. Keep the hope alive. Uh, Jake, you're my Fez. Hey, I want to get on uh, Fred for being an unsupportive dude to uh, to Pepper. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's Debbie Downer. What UCB stand for? Unsupportive, cynical bitch. I mean, uh, come on, dude. That, yeah, that or is bastard. what it stands for. Yeah. What? Yeah, why bitch? Why can't I be a bastard? Mix it up. I'm trying to support you in. You ain't supporting shit. You're trying to tear my fucking to tear my hopes and dreams down. I'm supporting down. you trying to live a more logical. It's lifestyle. about the dream, oh, though. Fuck logic. He's got to believe in something. He's got to believe in something. He could believe in making his life better through positive actions that don't. What are you a fucking Vulcan? Seriously, Jesus Christ! Are you fucking Mr. Spock? Should you, should you be selling fucking tapes to fucking people? Seems like it. God, tape damn worms it. is what he should be selling to people. Yeah. Mike. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, yeah, that's the big point that Fred's missing here. If I buy a lotto ticket and the drawing is in three days, I get three days to think about how I'm going to spend my $40 million. That's, that's true. the biggest Hell thing. Yeah. I, I have no chance. I, I do computer drafting for a living. It's a shitty job. I don't fucking have any chance to make $30 million ever in my life. But this is my only shot and the only way you get to fantasize about it. Well, let Fred ruin that for you. You have, have a shot shit to, on you. You have a shot to make $30 million by using your talents and, like, really trying to I'm, be innovative. Like, if you're innovative and you... I have zero talent. Well, then you Not everybody $30 million. Well, yes, you well, do. If you do, if if you do the lottery. lottery. Well, no. You know what? Here's the thing. Not everybody hit the fucking life lottery like you did. Yeah. Where you come from a nice family who paid for your education, who fucking nurtured you along with your artistic and shitty fucking dreams. Some people are like Hicks. He hit the fucking bad lottery. <laughs> Alcoholic uh, fucking dad who died young. His mom loved him but died young. He's got nothing. That's right. No support system. But where he has come from, he's done well. And he's, he, he lives six inches away from a subway track like the fucking Blues Brothers movie. <laughs> I'm cooking on a fucking goddamn hot wire. You he wants to, to take a shit. He's got to walk down the hall. You need to eat more than just a piece of bread toasted over a flame. Yeah, he's going to get a couple chickens. So, see... I'm just trying to help you out. You are a fucking downer, and you're making me feel bad. Actually. You're making us all feel bad. I shouldn't. I thought I was going to make everyone feel great. <laughs> you make us all feel awful. This, this sucks. Everything blows. It's Black Friday. We're sitting here. That's like winning a lottery, right? Shut up. We're having a good time. Seriously, shut up. You're just fucking rubbing it in. You know what? I'm going to make a call to security and ask if it's okay to kill someone. <laughs> I hope they say no. Hands down. No. Close the fucking blinds. <laughs> and get that sheet down. Bring that fucking sheet and be ready to wrap somebody up in it. Get the wizard blade. <laughs> no. Don't get wizard blade. I'll be good. I don't think you will. I think you're going to continue to be a dick. Why don't we break here? This fucking guy's ruined the show for us today. Yeah, I feel like shit. You know what? You're going to tap out with Fez, and Fez is going to come in and get involved. Oh. You ready to get involved in the show today, Fez? Sure. Where are you going? Hershey's for this? Remember after the show yesterday, you and I were trying to fucking... Oh, explain? <laughs> explain and get involved in the gay angle with Fez. 
and he would not either listen to us or answer us. Something was happening. Yeah, for like 10 minutes, we were trying to... 10? It was seven hours. Oh, my God. Seven straight hours. This sobriety thing is making time real different for me. <laughs> well, we tried to get into a thing of the the natural angle of of wanting something sexually. Mm. That some of it just happens to you, and some of it is a learned behavior. And he could not follow along. And when he tried to tell us it was... Uh, natural. natural. He was explaining that he was getting it from books and fucking... There are certain acts that I believe are natural. And certain that aren't natural. In terms of whether you would have figured this out on your own or not. You know? Like, I don't think anyone has to teach any human how to pump. If they fucking were taken away... Yeah. And fucking put in a cage like an animal and just fed. Sooner or later, <laughs> they're going to fucking learn how to fuck their fist. You're not going to get around that. Get some friction True. going. But there are other fucking acts that you can only learn through instruction. Like playing with the balls. I well, I'm not going to say what. Okay. Because we it, it's so aggravated that one day I would like to have this on the air. But I can't bring him in to do it now. Okay. But I would love to have this kind of discussion with him. But he doesn't understand that basic uh, premise. But we're going to bring Fez in and get him involved today. It's a Friday. Uh, we end the show with an unmasked today. Uh, Fran Drescher, who I'm shocked Fez hasn't brought up all week. She got into a lot of the, the gay marriage stuff and made some amazing points. Mm -hmm. And I think some of those that he should be picking up. But then he wanted to talk about um, chocolate milk. But either way, it doesn't matter. We bring him back in. Matt, not only are you out of the room, what? I want you standing behind hands, bananas. Yeah. Behind hands? Yeah. Is Dan Pearl here today, too? No, it's just hands. I feel sorry for Daniel Pearl. I thought with his name he was going to really get heat. Yeah. And hands, bananas has left him. Like a shot. D to the P. Look at that fucking hands and hands head. Where I'm going to be in a couple minutes. Hmm. I'm getting demoted. How you feel? Does that feel good? No, it feels not good. Well, you know what? I wasn't feeling not good when you're shitting all over my lottery fucking aspirations. But you know what? I'm going to turn this into a positive. Fuck off. Oh. All right. We uh, break. It's the Ron and Fez show. Oh, yeah, super good. Hey! 
Yeah, buddies, it's the Ron and Fez show on a Friday. Coming up a little later on in the show, it's Unmasked uh, with the nanny, Fran Drescher. And then also Mike Zito and his band. The name of the band, uh, Hicks? The Royal Southern Brotherhood. Are they going to be playing live for us today? Don't think they're playing live today. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, it is a big, big uh, Friday. Hey, if you go over to the iBang, uh, not only is the Rob uh, Regal up, but the Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. is up there. One of my all-time favorite human beings. He's the man. And Him. I didn't want to even get into this. It looks like he and I could be starting uh, a separate business. What? That maybe there might even be a spot for some of you guys. I would love to. What's the business? I'd love to get in on this. It's time travel. And it looks like... You guys are going to start a time traveling company? Yeah. But we need somebody who's willing to time travel. I'll time travel? Fuck it. You're going to be our time traveler. We're going to move you not into the past, but into the future. Holy shit. At one second per second. So you will be sitting in the chair. Yeah. And within ten minutes... I believe I can project you 10 minutes into the future. I don't know. This doesn't sound very far. Here's the problem. What's that? I don't know if I can get you back. I don't know if I can get you back here. That's scary. Mm. Because I don't want to get lost in time. Yes. It happens. Take a chance. When you become unstuck in time. Which, you know, I'm not going to bring that up, but how did Slaughterhouse-Five not make our book list yesterday? That's a glaring omission. Yeah. I love Vonnegut so much that sometimes I'll just be going like this in my head. Vonnegut. Vonnegut. Wow. That one to me was my coolest person I ever saw on the street. That's pretty fucking dope. Yeah. I saw Vinny Chase from uh, Honorage yesterday. That's pretty good. <laughs> Where at? Right outside this building, but he wasn't coming up here. He was just hanging outside this building and met with some people. He had a clipboard in his hand, and they were trying to find a place to have a drink. He was trying to get a job at one of the food carts, now that Entourage is over. <laughs> I have lots of experience cooking halal meat. You guys want white sauce or hot sauce? I don't know if I'm willing to work 19 hours a day, but I will be here. <laughs> you ever know it's like those guys are the same guys who are here late at night and early yeah. in the morning? Um, so, where's the bathroom? Oh, piss jugs? <laughs> Ew. And, um, you really uh, have to get used to standing too close to people. God, yeah. I said we were going to bring him into the show today. Uh, and here he is. He's a guy, I think it was, was it two weeks ago that he came out? Or was it one week ago? Two weeks ago? Two, two weeks, weeks ago. And I think if he had any sense here, he'd come out again today. Because people love... When he comes out, uh, it's our own Fez Watley. This, of course, is his theme song. I love it. I'd ask you to do a dance when I'm worried about your heart exploding. Yeah, I'm not ready to dance yet. How has your two weeks out been, Fez? Well, you know what? The first week was really, really good. Any dating? No, no dating yet. See, that's what most of us would think of as far as being out. 
Like getting out there, getting into the scene, mixing it the fuck up. Do you have, Fezzi, a gay role model? That somebody that you look at? Because I haven't seen you, and you're already back to, you know, he wears the pink undershirt, but then he's still just fucking dressing as a regular guy. Um, we've got something up. The staff at the Interrobang has put this together today that might work for you. It is uh, 10 Out and Proud Films. And let's go through some of these films, Fezzi. Okay. And see if you know the stories. Or if anybody else has any films that Fez should be watching, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. So, Fez... On coming out, I'm giving you an A. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Where's his applause? <laughs> Hold on, because being out, that's an F. Oh. So it keeps you as a C right now, which right. is still a passing grade. But I'm concerned with all the excitement, all the thrill of coming out. Still not friends with the Alq guys. None of them seem too excited about you coming out. No, no, it was uh, just still past them in the hallway, and you know, kind of get a nod or anything, but no feeling of inclusion. No, we want you to come to our sausage party. Right? Yeah. No invites or anything. I get hellos from those guys. They're all kind of friendly guys, uh, but nobody's saying more than this. Hey, right, dude. We want you to come hang out with us. All right, let's uh, go through some of this, see if any of these films would be helpful. First of all, In-N-Out. Have you seen that, Kevin Klein? I have not seen In-N-Out. This could actually be called the Fez Watley story. He gets outed uh, during an Academy Award uh, thing. It was basically based on Tom Hanks. When Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia... He went on stage and said, I'd like to thank my uh, my high school teacher, uh, theater teacher, and, and he was gay. And everybody went running over the guy. Now, the guy didn't know that Tom Hanks was going to say it, but he also didn't have a problem with it. Oh, okay. But they did it with a guy who was in the closet. And like Mr. Watley, everybody had suspected of being gay. Um, but didn't know it himself. Wow. So in and out might be a good spot for you to start, Fizz. It does sound like a good starting point where if it's someone who just doesn't even know they're gay, yeah, that's, uh, that hits home. All right, the next one for you. Thinking they're going to outgrow it. Uh, my own, you thought you were going to outgrow it? Not gayness, but I thought I would mature and I thought I was immature and would eventually find a, a girl that I really, really liked. When did you think th- this? I mean, um, up until maybe uh, seven, eight years ago. You thought that you were an immature. Yeah, person. I thought maybe I'm. You know that that was the thing that I was just still comic books and everything else, and I was just a late bloomer. I don't know if that is even true in life. Of a late bloomer, I don't know. I think there's late bloomers. I do. You know, there's a lot of guys that aren't even all that hetero. They've only been with, you know, the one girl, and then they married her immediately. I mean, how hetero are you there? 
One more than me. That's true. Um, all right, the next one for you is My Own Private Idaho. All right, I have not seen this. Um, now, I don't understand how you wouldn't have seen this one. This is uh, uh, Keanu uh, is gay. And also, what's his name is gay? Um, Phoenix? Yeah. River, River Phoenix. Phoenix. Now, I'll tell you a fucking River Phoenix story. You're not going to believe this. Well, yeah. This is many years ago when we lived in uh, Florida. And there was this uh, outside bar. Uh, but it was in a fucking court outside. I think it was the Hotel Detroit. Wasn't that the name of the place? I think, yeah. I think so. And what was the name of that bar there? Um, well, we were know. there for a certain show. Do you remember what show it was? No. Might have been a P Funk, but something along those lines. And River Phoenix was there. Obviously, it was before he died. So he comes over and he meets Fez Watley. Oh, all right. And as he meets Fez, he grabs him. Oh, what? And this is going back, what, 20 years ago, Fez? Oh, at least, yeah. Like 20 years ago. He grabs Fez, puts his hand up behind Fez's head, and gives him a kiss on the lips. What? Like in, hey, how you doing? It's great to meet you. Gives him a kiss on the lips, and Fez just says, well, that was weird, huh? That's a strange thing. <laughs> That's a crazy fucking story. That's a true fucking story. That's fucking bizarre. Now, did you feel anything, Fez? Um, you know, I think I did, but I also think I was worried because he seemed a little out of it at the time. So well, we were all out of it. Sure. That was the fucking point. <laughs> so I think I was a little worried, too. And the whole thing was just surreal at that point. Right. Where it's, this can't possibly be happening. I'm going to give you a little, uh, I'm going to give you an inside because I don't fucking out people. I'm not like Fez. Uh, River might have some of the same little problems that we have. Okay. You know, he might have some of the same struggles that we had. Um, but how weird is that? River Phoenix kissed Fez on the mouth. Now, it wasn't a French kiss. It was a, you know, like a European kiss. How mm -hmm. they'll kiss each other on the mouth. Mm -hmm. But he just met Fez. and um, That's why I don't count it as my first kiss. You should, though. Yeah. I mean, it's a great one, fucking, River Phoenix. I'm going to point that out. You've yeah. got that fucking story. Good and the God. fact that you will never focus on it. You know what I mean? That's a crazy fucking story. That is yeah. one of the most amazing. River Phoenix just fucking runs out and fucking kisses shit on the lip. But That's can, nuts. This would be like me saying, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you this. Yeah. Uh, one time I met Angelina Jolie and she kissed oh. me right on the mouth. How could you forget And then fucking wandered off. It would be like a thrilling story that I would tell all the time. Here's an interesting thing about Fez. How come he never says stuff like this? Uh, here's Robin Detroit, Irma Fez. Yeah, the name of the club in the back of Club Detroit was Janice Landing. Janice Landing, very, very good. I used to know the guy uh, who ran that pretty well. Uh, his name yeah, was, when Rob, I was Rob Douglas. Yeah. When I was like 18, I actually got high with Mike Deeds and the Beastie Boys there. It was the first time I ever smoked pot in my life. Yeah, it was a really fucking cool little place because you could feel all the heat and humidity of fucking Florida. Um, but yeah, I used to know the guy who ran the place. And uh, he used to book some fucking decent acts in this. It was just nothing. It was just in between a couple little buildings. That's fucking It wasn't dope. even a club at all. <laughs> it was just a... Um, um, 
It was like a fucking alley. Time you're on my Fez. Hey, how you doing, Ron? Yeah. Uh, I was a little concerned about Fez there, and I was wondering, has he ever considered if he may be asexual and not gay? Well, we did settle on you being asexual before, Fez. Yeah, and I and I totally thought about that. Now, I am gay, and now I'm openly gay. So, but, you but what, that, like... You haven't like, done anything. I haven't done anything. I haven't, you know, stamped my hand there to join the club in that respect. But I know my feelings for men, and I know uh, desires and fantasies that run through my head. But before like that... Like some of the fantasies, yeah. like you want to suck cock and... I dance just too Jesus. much. He doesn't have to go through his fantasies. But the thing is, Fez, up to that point, you were asexual, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was... I mean, were you ever heterosexual? No. I don't and think I was ever. When you were not having gay fantasies, did you have any fantasies? Uh, no, I would have, like, very odd, like, relationship fantasies. With a girl? Uh, yeah, I would think about, you know, like raising kids, coming home to a wife. I would I would have those kind of daydreams. Mm. Uh, when we say fantasies, we mean a sexual fantasy. I never had that. That's uh... No, I still don't. So you jerk off to having a wife and kids? <laughs> like if if somebody's like thought, a fucking nightmare. <laughs> if, if like you had a Kate Hudson fantasy, it wouldn't be Honey, I'm home. God, long day at work. Rob Douglas is driving me crazy. Why don't you make daddy a scotch? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta tell you what's happening down the plant these days. Um. Alright, next one, Fez. Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Davey Mac loaned it to me, but I haven't seen it yet. Why not? That was Al Pacino was a gay man in that movie. I didn't know that. I, I still haven't even... I thought it was just a bank robbery movie. And how long ago did he load it to you? Probably five, six years ago. Do you still have it? Yeah, it's there. It's, it's there somewhere. Why won't you give it back to him? Where is it? Behind my fucking umbrella? Oh, Jesus Christ. It's with the stack of DVDs. Adam, you got a movie for Fez. Hey, Fez, uh, first of all, my wife and I were really, really excited when you came out, man. So, good luck with that. But uh, there's a great documentary called Paragraph 175, which is about the persecution of homosexuals during Nazi Germany. It's very interesting. You should probably check it out. kind of gives you a perspective of what people really went through. And maybe we'll go through again. Oh, Jesus. I have my way. What? What did you say? About a... We don't need a gay holocaust. Well, the holocaust was a gay holocaust, my friend. I don't know whether you know that or not, but that's what the point of this was. The old pink triangle thing. You gotta put it on you. That's right. Um, let's go over here to... Alright, here's the next one on the list. But I'm a cheerleader. Have you seen that one, Fez? No, I haven't even heard of this one. I've seen this one. This is a good one. Why don't you talk about it a little bit, Matt? It's got uh, Michelle Williams and, young, and Natasha Leone, and it's about this girl who's like a cheerleader, and her parents suspect her of being a lesbian, so they send her to this deprogramming camp, and she's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not gay, but then 
it's just like this ridiculous thing where they they have all these um, kids that they're trying to deprogram homosexuality out of, and they all just end up you know getting together. It's basically just you know it's like in prison when they just send prison they send criminals there and they just hook up with other criminals. Mm. I mean, not in a sex. So I mean, really, it's just a chance for them to really explore their yeah, gayness. They they try and deprogram, but instead they're like you know mixing them together and being like, here are all these other gay kids, and they. <sighs> I love when any girl tells me her camp story or whatever the fuck that is. That's the fucking thing. I think it has RuPaul not in drag in this movie too. RuPaul is the only thing on that gay TV network. And it's just always him and gay drag queens. Yes. It runs 24 hours a day on Logo. What kind of money do you think he makes doing that? Because Logo is, well, it's, it is beating own, but it's still hard to find. I have no clue. But I mean, if he's fucking getting replays like that, he's banking it up. Um, all right, next one. Chasing Amy. Uh, this was a brilliant film. Kevin I Smith's film. Loved it. This movie's hysterical. Not only is it a really funny film, but did you or did you not fall in love with her? She's amazing. It's impossible not to watch that film and not be uh, mad for her. And she's ridiculously cool, and that's the girl you wanted. She's awesome. This movie's the shit. And Ben Affleck was great in it, too. Yeah, this was. Uh, you know, the time where you're like, oh, okay, so it's not just about Matt Damon. It's Ben <laughs> Affleck, too. Now, this one I saw, and I remember thinking back on it. Now, I remember feeling uncomfortable watching it. Like in your pants? Like you wanted Ben Affleck? No, like when Ben Affleck uh, uh, approaches Banky about being gay. Banksy. Banksy about no, being I gay. Is that. <laughs> I was doing the fucking artist here. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't fucking listen to me. So, and I remember thinking, all right, the guy's saying he's not gay. Why isn't Ben Affleck convinced? No, because you used to go through that. Uh-huh, yeah. So I remember liking the movie, obviously. It's a great movie. But I remember thinking, that's really uncomfortable. Hmm. Is this also one of the first movies to kind of uh, say that it's not okay to say gay and fag in like a derogatory way? That's a really good question. I don't know when that came down. And it's funny how... Even on regular TV shows, you still hear those things all the time. Like, we still haven't made the full turn with that. No, uh, but I think this is the first time when people were saying, you know what, this might not be the right thing to keep saying. Um, let's go over here to Jim in Alabama. You're on Fez. Hey, Dr. Bennington, Pecker Hips. Good. Hey, I got two of them for you. Yeah. Uh, two comedies, The Birdcage and Philadelphia. All right, Philadelphia isn't funny. Come on. The streets of Philadelphia. Mm. Mm. Uh, next one, I Love You, Philip Morris. Based on a true story, uh, this is about a guy who fell in love with another guy in prison. And it also shows the thing, I think it shows homosexuals as being people that will steal your credit cards. Hustlers and thieves. But it's um, really like if you get uncomfortable seeing gay sex things, 
These two fucking stars take it to the fucking limit. Yeah, Ewan McGregor don't give a fuck. And Jim Carrey doesn't either. Ewan McGregor isn't... By the way, this is very funny. I didn't even think of this. So Hicks sent me to this screening last night. Documentary, two and a half hours. Thanks, Hicks. Um, But I'm trying to think. One of the critics was saying to the other one about Ewan McGregor, and he was calling him Ewan. And the guy's going, you mean Ewan McGregor? And he's going, and it was a black dude, and he's like this. Well, he likes it pronounced Ewan. And I'm fucking cracking up. And I I always feel like in these screening rooms, like I don't belong there. Because I'm not a fucking film critic, you know? And I just want to say, you stupid cock. How, after 20 years, would we not know that it's not Ewan McGregor. Wait, you didn't know about that? <laughs> and do you understand there are not a lot of Scottish people named Ewan? Just because he's in fucking Star Wars doesn't mean he's one of those creatures. That's fucking hysterical. Now, also during the screening last night, and it's, I'll, I'll give it away, is the Bob Marley documentary, and you'll see a lot of great uh, film footage of fucking Bob Marley that I've never seen before. But a woman behind me is doing the up. Oh, jeez. Oh. Not knowing that Bob Mar- how Bob Marley dies. Well, how could you not know how Bob Marley dies? One of the biggest fucking uh, art- musical artists all in, the, time. in the world. All time. Yeah. How could you not know how he goes out? Here's the, other, here's the other weird thing. I don't know if it was because it was a 70s thing, but as I'm watching it, because you're getting these close-ups of Bob Marley on the big screen, I think Richard Pryor could have played Bob Marley in a fucking movie. Shit. When I was looking at him, I'm like, this would have been a good fucking role for Pryor. Fuck. Because I've always thought Zach DeLaRocca, you know, when I first saw him, I'm like, he could play fucking Marley in a heartbeat. Yeah, when he fucking had the whacked out dreads? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, Let's move on to the other one. The next one. Lacasia Fall, The Birdcage. Is this cheating when we're doing the Apollo type slash thing? No, because it's, it's the remake. It's the same film. It's the same exact thing? Pretty much, yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's the same story, just, you know, The Birdcage is just an American. Um... Let's go over here to... Did you watch The Birdcage at all, Fez? I saw The Birdcage, yeah. I mean, that reminds me of me, of uh, the neurotic, openly gay person. It reminds me of you and the fact that you you and Robin Williams both have always tried to act like Robin Williams. When Fez was younger, he had a Robin Williams obsession. And used to go around in those... Uh, Fucking! What do you even call those things? Suspenders? Rainbow suspenders. He had rainbow suspenders when he was younger, oh, like everybody Mark. else didn't fucking see Mark on TV. <laughs> How come you're not into that look anymore? Maybe you ought to get back into it. it I don't, it's uh, suspenders wasn't working for me anyway. I, I could never. For some reason, they still didn't hold my pants up. Oh, mm. they're elastic. Didn't we have a tramp's death last night? Jimmy Ellis. What else has he done, Fess? Um, I don't know other than that. You just like to pay attention when people die? Yeah, I death just... Death obsession? Yeah, yeah. When I, and I always, you know, have to see the cause of death. What was it? 
Uh, Disco he, Inferno. He, Burn to death. He had progressively gotten iller and iller. He was suffering from iller and iller from uh, Alzheimer's. Progress. I'm sorry. Your father is going to get iller and iller. He's got a license to be iller. <laughs> Corner. Here's Fez. Kiss. Um. All right, let me see some of these. Wedding Banquet has come up for you, Fez. Have you seen this? I hadn't heard of it. This season of Survivor, says Melinda. Uh, this person says we don't need a homocaust. Um, staircase from 1969. That's from Casey Pickles. Hadn't heard of that one. That must have been an early gay film. The Boys in the Band, Bound, Kissing Jessica Stein. What about Wild Hogs? That was pretty gay. Milk. Well, milk isn't like fun gay, though, right? It's more like sad. Yeah. Uh, here's uh, Bill in Connecticut. You're on Run Fez. Hey, guys. Uh, I used to live in Florida and listen to you guys when you were down there. The show was great down there. And I just always assumed that Fez was gay. I turned the dial on here a minute ago, and I was like, what are they talking about? He's just coming out now, 20-something years later. It's true. It took a while. It's true. But not only that, but when he when he played that character in Florida, he did not think that he was gay. I say I thought he was just being himself, honestly. I just I just thought that was fans, you know? No, that was just a... I don't know whether I'd call it a gay version of Uncle Tom, but some kind of... Let's laugh at the gay guy character that he invented. Like gay face. All right. Yeah, he put on gay face. What are you eating over there? One of your pears? Yeah. Every fucking day, a fake pear. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know, the more we love Hans Bananas, the more we hate Fred. Yeah. It's what? definitely moving in that direction. I definitely like Hans Bananas more than Fred. The Bananas is coming on strong. We're not calling him Hans anymore? I think the whole point there is to throw hands and bananas. Hands bananas. If he was hands or bananas, I don't think I'd care for him. It's the whole thing. Maybe I can spend a little time with him before the fucking band gets here. Um, Prick Up Your Ears by Stephen Furst. That's actually one of my favorite fucking movies. I cracked the fuck up at that right up to the... Mm. That's also one of those films that shows like the thing between mental problems and gayness oh shit like here's a, a point we were talking about sex addiction right we see that as a mental disorder right uh-huh that's how people saw being gay not all that long ago and if we're trying to cure people of their sexual addictions how is that different than curing people of being gay these unnatural thing that they want to do Bum, ba, da, 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 da. A gay Nazi is on Survivor this year? The guy can't be a Nazi and gay, can he? Wow, that's fucking weird. Doesn't seem to work. It seems like every Survivor season has some gay person on it. Yeah, but supposedly this guy is really catching the heat. Uh, you left off the film Half Slices, the mystery of what happened in Tampa. Did you ever get around to saying that you were molested, Fez? No, I've never said that. I, I've never been molested, to the best of my knowledge. When are you going to come clean on that, though? If I remember it, I'll tell everyone. Liz F Sets Fire says Queer as Folk. Have you seen that, Fez? No, I haven't seen that. 
We may have to start calling Fez J. Edgar if he doesn't get any action soon. <laughs> All right, with the sex thing, Fez, are you looking for a one-night stand? No, no, I'm not looking for a one-night stand because I think what'll happen... I think a one-night stand, even though it would be pleasurable, just knowing my nuttiness, I would get really obsessed, and I would spend my time trying to find that one, that same person over and over again. But that's putting a lot of pressure on who's ever with you now, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm kind of relationship-minded, so I mean, I don't want... Uh, I would end up just going to that same place where I met that person over and over again. Right, but but aren't you worried about just like a regular person, rather than you just meeting someone, having a date with them, now they're in this pressure situation of spending the rest of their life with you? Yeah, I mean, but neither one is like... Uh, the if that, if you talk that over with your shrink? Yeah, yeah, and his thing is... Um, just, he goes, meet some gay people to hang out with. Don't think that you have to have the sex and the relationship and the move in together and the gay marriage all in the course of ten days. But then why didn't you make gay friends before you came out? Well, that was another thing of, you know, the time I spent in the gay bars, you know, I just never felt included, even to make friends. Hmm. Even to have the nice, friendly chit-chat. I see. So, yeah, I mean, I would have taken that at some point, but I just was, I wasn't making my inroads. Well, why don't you do this? Like, uh, me and Chris will play a couple of gay guys, and you come over and try, try to be friends with us. Okay. So, anyway, uh, I want to invite you later to this gay party. It's oh. going to be a lot of twinks there. Oh, really? It's a twink yeah. party? You know oh, how I love yeah. twinks. How you guys if doing? If we want to, I'm by the end of it. Yeah, after we're done mm. fucking them, then we can kill them. Hey, guys. Because they're that? all underage. Excuse me? What? I was just saying hello. Uh, what are you looking for, poop deck papi? Don't you see a couple people are having a conversation? Oh. Yeah, how about I, wait for a lull in it? Hey, gray huh? cock. All right. See, I, I was uh, just trying to introduce myself. Right, but we were talking. Could uh, you see that? Private yes. conversation. Oh, okay. Well, what is it that you need that's so fucking important? Is the building on fire? No. Well, what is it? No, I just heard you guys talking about a party, and I was just saying hello and introducing myself. Right. I'm Fez. Okay. Mm. Great. And that means what? Well, it just uh, means I was just... I just recently came out and was trying to, you know, oh, meet some people I'm in the su community. I'm surprised I didn't get that. I normally read the creepy old guy news. So, all right, maybe I'll just find some other people here to talk to. Yeah, bother them. I don't even remember what we were talking about now. I don't know, before party. Gramps come over? Oh, so you were eavesdropping. That... You don't find that fucking too obnoxious? Well, it's tight spaces in here. I couldn't help it over here. I'm going to get the bouncer. Tight spaces. This is a, a huge fucking gymnasium. We're the only three people here. Yeah, would anyone like to? Uh, could uh, would anyone mind spotting me? I'm one of the machines. Speaking about spots, you've actually got one in the front of your pants, one on the back of your pants. You're fucking disgusting. Get out. Who we'll let you in here? And see, it's that easy, Fez. That's how you make friends. See that? That's how you difficult. get involved. 
That didn't seem easy at all. I got called Greycock at one point. Is that true? No. Oh. Well, your beard is as white as fucking snow. Yes, prematurely. Right. So, would you fucking be surprised <laughs> if you weren't a fucking, you know? I don't have white pubes. Oh. You can see why you would think, why? Well, I could understand it. That's why I just wanted to put to rest any, uh, any uh, wrong assumptions. Oh, fucking disgusting. You know, the, did you notice, like, the whole time that he was talking to us, he seemed like he was reading? He seemed, I don't know, nervous, too. Yeah. Do you have a script inside your head? What is it that you want from these people? I just want to have, you know, nice conversation and then be able to, you know... Right. Once I get to know somebody, can right, I explain let's... my situation? Why do you want to come up and explain a situation to a fucking stranger? No, that's what I said. Once I get to know somebody. Right, I'm going to play the part of a stranger. Okay. I'll be here by myself. All right. Hey, how you doing? Excuse me. I'm waiting for the bartender to come over. Anybody like a drink? Yeah. What are you looking for? I don't know. One of those fruity fucking things that gay guys drink. All right. Yeah, I'll get you some fruity shit. Yeah. Put an umbrella in it. Yeah. And on the umbrella, I want it to write gay. Will do. On the other side, no gray cocks. Thank you. Gotcha. I'll be here's back. a little something for you. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. That sounds good. What are you having? Uh, a gay fruity drink. I'll have one of those too, please. Oh, get one for the copycat. What, are you buying one for me? Yeah, I'll buy yours. Well, I already paid for mine. Why don't you just give me the cash? $17. Well, I could, that's, right. well, that's an expensive drink. Oh, you never drank in Manhattan? This is a cocktail bar, sir. If you can't afford it, you can kindly leave. So, but, um, no, I'll, I'll get, uh, how about I get you the next round, then? Since next you already round? Paid. What am I, an alcoholic? I'm a man sitting here sipping a cocktail. What is it that you want, Grampy? Well, I was just, uh, I just recently came out, and I, you know, I was just looking for, you know, gay people to talk to and to meet. I'm right here. What do you need? Well, um, uh, just, how do you meet people? How do I meet people? By not uh, being obnoxious and coming up and, and fucking trying to bother them in public. I, I'm a person of interest, so I let them come to me. Oh, it's working, because I came over. Yeah, I know that, Charlie Rose. You're doing a great job. Here's your daiquiri, sir. Thank you. You're very welcome. His next round is on me. What? Barkeep. So that's a way of keeping me stuck here, having this with you? i got to make it through two cocktails before you leave? I have a name. Well, no, you don't have to. Yeah, he calls you Barkeep because it's the 1890s and we're in the Old West. <laughs> what is it that you want? I'm just looking to meet some uh, gay people. Right. So, um... Then let's take a look at your dick. <laughs> here in the bar? Yeah, we're all gay. It's not a big deal. Happens all the time. We all have one. See, I haven't shown my dick to anyone yet. <laughs> so I'm still a little tense about that. Mm. Um, I don't want to get tricked into showing, being the only one showing my dick and then I get arrested. Why do you come over here and, and you know, you come into my life and now you're telling me things that you won't do? Uh, Craig, you're on my face. 
Hey, what's going on, buddy? Hey. I just want to know what makes Fez think he's known you for, what, 20-plus years and still can't have a conversation with you in studio. How does he think he's going to do it in these sports bars trying to meet new people? That's a really good point. Yes, I uh, said it wouldn't be easy. Why don't you just, uh, I'll be Ron, and you come in and start doing the show with me. You want to try that? I guess we could try that someday. Well, this would be the day. Well, I'm Fez Watley. I know, Fez. It's me, Ron. (laughs) Coming up, Mike Zito and the Royal Southern Brotherhood will be here. That's a nice live read. What about a conversation? Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, I'm going to start looking at some of these movies, a lot of them I haven't seen that are on the Interrobang, and start doing some gay homework here. Oh. Okay. Um, JP, you're on my face. <laughs> What's up, Roddy? Yeah. Uh, hey, you, know, you probably know Fez better than anyone else. What would you pin, uh, peg Fez as, a bottom or a top? Um... I'm not. I I don't have those thoughts. Having those thoughts about Fez would be like me thinking about my sister having sex. It's just not something that you do. I don't want to think about that. No. Actually, it freaks me out. Uh, So Mike Zito is here now? Yes, he is. All right, we need to break for him? Yeah. All right, let's break, uh, and we will be back with Mike Zito. Coming up a little later on in the show, it's Unmasked with Fran Drescher. We'll be right back. Run a fest.
Southern Brotherhood. Our buddy uh, Mike Zito is here. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Ron. How you doing? Why don't you uh, introduce the band to everybody? This is uh, Mr. Devin Allman. Yo, yo. Uh, he's on guitars and vocals and writing songs. And the one and only Mr. Cyril Neville right there, the Neville Brothers, and now we're all yeah. Southern Brotherhood. So you you put together a super group on us. You put together a super group. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but not, not on purpose by uh -huh. any means. No, Devin and I have known each other for a dozen or more years growing up in St. Louis, and we worked at a guitar center together. Really? Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Played we in opposite to, uh, bands. You yeah. know, a little friendly rivalry thing. Uh -huh. And uh, it was cool, man. You know, we were kind of, we were the only cats who worked there that really had anything going on downtown at night, you know, uh -huh. like real bands that were out playing. And yeah. It's a trip that we're in the same band all these years later. If you would ask either one of us back then, and he'll tell you, tell him your story. Oh, I should, I, should, I should tell him. That it is a tell good one. Tell him a good story. We start working at the store, and this kid comes up. He's like, hey, you ever heard Mike Zito play? You know, he works over in the accessory department. And I'm like, no, you know, what's his deal? He's like, he's playing downtown tonight. You're coming with me. you got to check him out. He's amazing. I'm like, cool. So go down to the club, walk in. I look on the stage, and I, I can hear this cat, but I can't see him. He's standing on the bar. He's got his <laughs> pants down. He's got his underwear down. And he's got the, the Silence of the Lambs tuck job going on. <laughs> I was, was drinking, that... man, and doing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but Boy, was that his... difficult for you, or was it easy? <laughs> I don't even remember. I, don't know. I know I did it. Playing his ass off. Yeah. But like, I mean, my jaw is dropped. I, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I never forget, 
I'm like, I, I nudge my friend. I go, I'm glad I'm not in a band with this asshole. Yeah, right. <laughs> Literally an asshole. Yeah. Oh, I was man. drinking back then. But uh, well, don't make you a bad different person. Era. Don't different. make you a bad person. That's right. Yeah. Different so, era. So we knew each other that long. And, and uh, uh, Cyril and I, you know, we got together um, in 2000 and... Uh, Eight two thousand nine, and we wrote the song Pearl River, which mm -hmm. you've played on the air. We talked about, and um, that's how we we got together. Uh, he sent me some lyrics, and I, I wrote the music, and we had uh, success with the Blues Music Awards, and won the Song of the Year. And and since then, we had been finding ways to try to write songs and do things. I mean, anytime you can do anything with Cyril Neville, right? You want to do it? Well, growing up in the Neville family, the music must have just day one for you. Yeah, it's like um, the neighborhood that I grew up in. Well, both of them really. Uh, the Calio Project is where I was born. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Calio Project, on one side of the courtyard was Willie T and his brother. Down the court from them was Barbara Hawkins and her sister who became the Dixie Cups. Next door to me was Red Tyler and I could listen to him at one point on tenor. Next he would be on alto, then he would be on baritone. Then my brother Charles would start rehearsing. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that was the Calio project. Then when we moved uptown, it was like uh, Teddy Riley lived down the street uh, Deacon John lived around the corner. My brother Art's band, the Hawkettes, rehearsed in the living room. And just about everybody in New Orleans who played music at that time did a, a little stint in that band and in my mama's living room. Right. So I got a chance to, I was, I was very lucky and very blessed, you know. Yeah, but at the time, did you realize you were lucky or blessed, or did you just think that's the way the planet mm, Earth works? Oh, no, I just knew, you know? I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And. You know, then thankfully enough, all of those guys, you know, kind of took me as a little mascot. So I learned a whole lot of different things, not just about how to play music, but how to be in a band. Right. And, uh, you know, and, you know, how to uh, basically in, uh, enjoy the hard along with the, the good, mm -hmm. you know, and it was a hell of an education. That is an interesting thing that with a band, I don't give a shit if it's the Rolling Stones, there is always going to be, you know, there's times that the check comes due where you've got to pay with some something, Yeah, you know? Yep. It's never easy. It's never it's going to be easy. It's, it's absolutely a marriage. Yeah. I would think by all means. You know, people used to think, used to tell me all the time, being, traveling with your family, with your brothers, that must be, you know, that's just wonderful and everything. yeah it's got its wonderful moments yeah, right you yeah. know but you know a lot of a lot of other times you know you got things that happen inside of a, a a mechanism like that that don't happen when you don't have blood involved when you know when when it's just a bunch of guys in a band that's one thing but then when you family as well right that that's another animal <laughs> yeah i mean you look at the uh the Royal Southern Brotherhood here. And whether when you grow up with like family names like this, Neville, Almond, Zito. Uh, which, <laughs> <laughs> Related to Mark Zito and his yeah. father. Yeah, oh, it doesn't okay, make yeah. a lot of... Do you even think to yourself, hey, huh? Man, you know, I mean, it's funny that, that I'm the odd man out. And uh, ironically, I'm the one that, that, that knew both of them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you asked how it come together. It was very natural. I mean, Devin had been doing the same thing I'd been doing. Devin, you know, you would think, and I used to think, 
uh, I used to think, why is Devin Allman working at this music store with right. me? You know, but uh, Devin has his own ideas, his own path, and he told me early on, you know, if I'm making a music, I'm going to make it because I'm good and I worked hard and I did it on my own. And right. I, so I had a lot of respect for him back then. And years later, we would be playing a lot of the same places, and he was doing the same thing I was doing. And uh, I said, man, you need to come down to New Orleans and get hooked up with our manager and the scene that's, that's really happening down here. And, uh, and he, he was interested, and he checked it out. And the next thing you know, he was working with the manager. We were all talking, and uh, I said, uh, the manager, not in a none of this was like, contrived or let's make money i said how come the almond brothers and neville brothers that there's got to be something there i mean right. those guys are really from the same yeah why didn't they ever jam something yeah. must happen you know tell me and, and he said uh he goes man y'all need to do it yeah and uh, i was like really you know me and okay uh but we were all doing our own thing so i i, I am the odd man out i mean um but I, I just, you know, happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I, 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 we all get along musically. We tried it out. But for all you guys, this isn't going to. This is just one project that you're doing, right? You're not saying that this is it, permanent, it is. or this is a band, man. Yeah, it is a band. This it, it, is yeah. a band, and I think you know how you have to take something like this is. It, it if, started out as a project. It did. Mm -hmm. It did. But you know. The fans are, are grabbing onto it. It's mm -hmm. really special to us, night after night. The the synergy is has been effortless, and you know this is the kind of thing that you take and yeah. you know is do it, it do it again if 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 it's feeling good. This is the most fun I've ever had playing music. Yeah. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. I tell you what, just you know, sitting at the table with like the longest run. Mm -hmm. Trust me, this is the first time I've been in the studio and did 12 tracks in two days and finished the record in five, and it came out as banging as mm -hmm. this record came out. And I mean, everybody brought the A-game, all egos was left at the door, and we went in there and we did this. I mean, when people listen to this record, what you're going to feel is what we felt in the studio because it's performances. This ain't no whole bunch of studio trickerations mm -hmm. and, you know, massive overdubs and everything. This is how they did it live, yeah. in the pour, 70s pour and 60s and yep. stuff. You know, this, you know, and it was like some of the songs actually were, you know, done right in the studio. We had the little kind of ideas of certain things but some of these stuff was actually put together in the studio so it was like there was nothing was contrived nothing was like uh overthought overproduced i mean you, you rsb gonna be around for a while i think so too i mean really it did start out as a project and an idea it was it was really like well this should be something be good for us and be good for musically and it would be good for the career wise and stuff and um that might have been the reason to get everybody kind of okay let's try it out and, and this isn't an overnight thing we started talking about this over a year ago you know and everybody was working so then we got together and we jammed a little and we liked that and then we started you know writing songs and sending things to each other and then we booked some gigs in the fall last year and we played a couple of live shows and then it was like man this is this is wow. real yeah, this is I think it started. You, know, you know, it, it did start as a side project, something for us to kind of do when we're not out with our own things. But mm -hmm. as we're getting deeper into it, I think we're kind of realizing the concept oh, of of Royal can act as as an umbrella where everything else is underneath of it. You know, 
and it's you it's walk a family. Out on stage with these guys and play, and it's man, it's and and the other guys in the band, the Enrico Scott, our drummer, is with the Derek Trucks band for the past fourteen years, and Charlie Wooten, the bass player, is a. Uh, I mean, these guys are. Uh, it's unbelievable. They're feeling the same way. Heck yeah, they would. Yeah, absolutely. And they're throwing. Throwing down. Uh, so the brothers are in town now, right? The other yeah. brothers are in town, so they may stop by tonight. You don't even know. You know the uh, it's it's a weird thing. It is opening night for the Allman Brothers tonight, uh -huh. so I know that you know sometimes they tend to kind of chill. Um, but the invites are made. You know, mm -hmm. uh, invited my dad down and Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks and yeah, you, you know, know who his dad is. We'll see. Uh, you ever heard what of his happens. dad? Yeah. I've <laughs> His kind name's Greg Allman. <laughs> kind of familiar, <laughs> kind of familiar with Greg Allman. I'm friends with his kids. So. No, but here's, you know, is that a rough thing for you, Devin, to be like? You look like 1970s Greg Allman. I don't want to, I don't want to fucking point it out, but it feels like it's 1973. And Greg Man, Allman has walked in. It's really funny. We had this cat last night uh, who came to the show and sent an email like immediately first thing in the morning, and he, and he was just, just pouring like congratulatory, you know. Mm -hmm stuff at us and and saying that he has literally been to hundreds of shows uh he's worked in the industry and that this was a top five show for him the royal show and that it was he hadn't seen a show as good since 69 Allman brothers yeah. which i was just like wow man yeah, that's, uh, you know. i mean for me man you know i mean like mike said earlier i've 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 always been kind of a do my own thing cat you know nobody wants to you know get to the to the top of a mountain and, and get asked how the helicopter ride was right. you know i i, I want to do it myself you know and i've played every juke joint and small place and theater and big place and festivals for 10 years you know and you so, know that's the only way you're gonna get good of course but I mean, yeah totally but uh i, I don't know I, I it's never really been difficult because i don't really focus on Right. who my dad is i focus on like man what can i do today to be a better player and a better singer and a better writer and if if i just keep my nose down and think about that then everyone else can talk about who my dad is yeah and i can just do my job and uh it's worked for me i i forget you know because i've known him for so long i don't ever think about it uh and then i'll hear you know and i, and I listen to him i mean I'm, I'm a huge fan you know mm -hmm. and then just the other day i was like hey man uh do I get to go with you to the concert? Like, can I go? Like, it didn't even cross my mind. I was like, yeah. dude, we could go see your dad. That would be really yeah. cool. <laughs> he goes, yeah. Well, you, you know, when we first started talking about this, when, when, yeah. when Ruben Williams first mentioned who all would be part of this and his name came up, um, at first, you know, I just thought, oh, he's, his name is Allman. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, and then, and then he told me, so that's Greg's son. I said, oh, okay, wow. Well, that brought me back to 1970 when I recorded uh, Gossip with the Meters in Macon, Georgia, and Phil Walden and um, I forget the other guy's name. But anyway, they took us to a park in Macon, Georgia. Said, y'all got to hear this band. Be giving Arthur Connolly the key to the city. So I'm in Macon, Georgia. I'm like 19 or something like that. I know James Brown is from Macon, Georgia. Right. So Otis Redden is from me. So when I'm on my way to this park and they're giving Arthur Connolly the key, the picture in my head is that I'm going to see these great black musicians that mm -hmm. started it all. 
And sure <laughs> enough, when we on the way, I start hearing the music. And I said, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. You know, and when I turn the corner, the first thing I see is blind hair flying <laughs> away. You know, and this dude just killing the B3. Yeah. You know, and my brother Art saying, now that's how you play a fucking B3. <laughs> you know? And it was like the biggest shock that I had had in my life. But at the same time, it changed everything for me. Right. And I'm glad to say me and Greg been friends ever since. And we done been meeting each other in different, you know, situations since then. Like, he came and did the, uh, this, I think it's Showtime thing special that we did. And, uh, it was him and, um, Ed Bradley singing 60 Minute Man. Oh, man. <laughs> with the Never Brothers. <laughs> you know, and, um, that, that was just one of the times that we done been in the same room with each other and that one was special because him and art was playing b3 at the same time right. and the stuff that they traded off on that was just like priceless well, you know this is the thing about the the neville brothers and the almond brothers it's always been music first i mean that is a tradition of music first there's never been great marketing great hype <laughs> you know what i mean there's never like oh they're pulling off this fantastic stunt to get people to pay attention to the new record it's always about music and the almond brothers being a southern band are probably new york city's I favorite know, yeah. band for like four years and, you know, Greg Allman came in here not, like, when the last album came out. And that thing sounds like Ray Charles to this oh, day. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing yeah. how he's still connected at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, Eric, you want to play another uh, song here? Something sure. yeah, from the definitely. Royal Southern Brotherhood. What do we got? Track uh, uh, three. Fired Up. Anything you want to set you wanna this do, up? Uh, Memphis? Or you pick it. Yeah, yeah. that would yeah. be good. Uh, you want to set the table for this? What's happening with yeah, this Yeah, um, this is one I wrote for the record. This is Devin. Um, and it's called Left My Heart in Memphis. It's track number three on the new album. I'm 
That's the uh, Royal Southern Brotherhood in studio with us. It was Regal, wasn't it? It was Regal. And it ended us in a nice, sleepy way, man. We just kind of cruised off take there. Take your medicine end. now. Yeah, Lay take down. your medicine. <laughs> Lay down. Close your eyes. Uh, you tell me how much fun it is to be out on the road with these guys. By the way, Royal Southern Brotherhood tonight, BB Kings. Uh, it's the Allman Brothers Post Show. Um, doors open at 11 o'clock. Show starts at 11.30. That's right. Yeah, you're saying being out on the road with these guys is just a ball. Oh, the stories. We're, we're having we're having a great great time. The whole you know the whole group, but being you have to you have to stop sometimes when you hear Cyril start to tell a story. You have to you have to stop and listen. Yeah, because you know the next thing you know he's going, and then Keith Richards come over to the and it's like whoa, 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 what just happened? Yeah. What, wait a minute! This is it's unbelievable. Like, oh this has been your whole life, huh, Cyril? The, yeah. Your whole life has just been music. I mean, it's like I knew from day one what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and luckily, and well, not lucky, I was just blessed to be born where I was born and in the family I was born in, you know. And the Neville family is just one of the musical families from New Orleans. I mean, they got the, the Baptiste. And there's about three different ways to spell that name, mm -hmm. and there's about five or six bands in each one of those <laughs> spellings. The the Andrews family, James Andrews and uh, Trombone Shorty, they got a, a family member in every brass band in the city. You know? They cover the waterfront. Yeah, they got I mean, everything. It's something about, I don't know what it is about New Orleans, but that's just one of those places that the you know families just continue to pass down. You know the culture. Yeah, you know. But you know what? It suits you because you said your name during the last song, and I had you pegged for about twenty years younger. So there's something <laughs> that works about this. Oh, this guy's got more energy than anybody yeah. on stage. I'm, I'm, I'm up there going. Oh man, okay, yeah. come on. You know, I didn't get a nap early, and I look over, and he's like doing jumping jacks and flips, and I mean, he's got so much energy. So, were you on the road uh, with Keith? Did you do stuff? Man, the, the never. The, the, I'm sorry, mm. the meters mm. went on a three month tour with them guys and through Europe, and I think '72 <laughs> or something like that. And people always ask me what that was like, and I, a kid running away with the circus. Sure. That you know, that's the only way they explain. As a matter of fact, I was telling them the one of the first shows was Fourth uh, of July in Atlanta in some big arena that they had a circus in town at the same time, and Mick hired the circus to right. come out with them, and they came out riding on elephants. Him, Keith. <laughs> and uh, Ron Woods came out riding on everybody except Charlie. <laughs> Charlie's like, oh, oh. Charlie said, no, I man, get I'm not getting on the elephant. The elephant but, you know, this is bad. like the early 70s, like Exile on Main Street, uh -huh. hanging out with the Stones and that era. Oh, you know, that's insane. What, what did yeah. you say when you got there? You said you got there, you got your passes, and what did they, what did they give you? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We can't go too I mean, deep, hey, can we? You, you know the little package you get? With your, you know, alignment and all of this kind of stuff and all of the directions and all this kind of stuff. And two prescriptions. One for value and one for something, you know, it, it, okay, so you're going to need something to make you go to sleep. <laughs> then you're going to need something to keep you up, you know. <laughs> so it was like that for three months, yeah. you know, and all through Europe, you know. I remember Zagreb, Yugoslavia. 
I don't think that place even exists no more. I sold a pair of jeans, <laughs> you know, for like uh, 150 dinars, whatever, the, whatever yeah. that was. Well, it was enough to pay my hotel bill and get some little extracurriculars. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, sold your jeans. <laughs> sold your jeans. He said, he said, what are these prescriptions for? And he said, about a week or so later, he was like, oh, that's what these prescriptions are for. All right. Because it was nonstop. I mean, it was like constant moving. And um, I mean, even the days off was like, you know, crazy. Big fun. Like a week off. Oof. In Amsterdam. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That's I, trouble. And, and the funny thing is, Keith is still on that tour. He's yeah. never, <laughs> Keith Richards has never really gotten off that tour. You just, 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 that was three months for you. This is 40 years for him yeah. running around like that. Uh, Royal Southern Brotherhood uh, playing tonight at BB King's. Uh, it's the Armour Brothers Pose Beacon Show Party. Nothing like that. Doors open 11. Show starts at 1130. Another album is out May 8th in stores and online at iTunes. Yeah. And for tour dates, check them out, royalsouthernbrotherhood.com. Uh, Ron, if they go today is the uh, day that starts with you. If you go to the website, you, get a, you can download the single for free. Yeah. I already had some people write, uh, writing in saying they're, they're struggling with that, though. They're struggling with how to download it. We don't free. want it to be so easy. Yeah, we'll, yeah. <clears throat> we'll uh, you know, we'll make sure and get the bugs worked out. But you know, that's a big part of the plan is to kind of it's it's a little ways off until the album comes out. So we mm -hmm. want to give them give them a little something. We're trying to. I mean, you're supposed to be able to hit the button and so. then the CD comes out of the screen. Yeah, his hand like comes out. We're yeah. not trying to figure out how to do it yet, but every computer's like a jukebox. It's we'll get it. We'll get it fixed. <laughs> But no, that that that's definitely happening. We got uh, I got two sets of tickets for tonight. If you want to, all right, we'll give them out. Want to go old school? If yeah, uh, you got to be, of course, in the tri-state area. If you can get to New York City tonight, give us a call eight six six Ron Zero Fez eight six six Ron Zero Fez. Come in and see this. Of course, it's the Royal Southern uh, Brotherhood. Finally, the Neville family, the Almond Brother family, and the Zito family pulling together, <laughs> pulling together. Over a big plate of pasta. <laughs> but uh, of course, like you said, the brothers are in town, uh, and they are invited to come down if they want to do the after party. Oh yeah, it, um, it'll be a great yeah, night we'll tonight. See. This is a beginning. This was, you know, we we need to go out on the road with this band and start putting the show together. We have a big summer plan, a lot of festivals, and uh, this just happened to work out. You know, mm -hmm. we would be here, and, and they were here, and um, uh, you know, it's good. We're also uh, good all around. We've got a really cool thing going in January. We're doing the Rock Legends Cruise, mm -hmm. and uh, I did it with my band last year with Honey Tribe. It was amazing. It was Austin ZZ Top and all all these crazy bands, and and Royals doing it this year. So if the, you know, if there's anybody out there that is gonna take a vacation in the next twelve months, there's nothing cooler than seeing like thirty concerts and laying your ass on the Bahamas Bahamas beaches, and it's it's a great time. And then the band is on the cruise with oh, everybody. Yeah, yeah man, we're doing it. like thirty eight special and Artemis Pile, Blue Oyster Cult. It's wild. So you actually end up running into those guys at breakfast? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. day long. You're probably jamming 
uh, oh yeah, throughout the night and everything. Uh, yeah. Fezzy, give those tickets off off the air too, okay? Thanks. <clears throat> um, all right, we got to uh, uh, wrap this up, but Fran Drescher, I understand. Yeah, we have Fran Drescher. I'd like to meet Fran Drescher. And, yeah, she's beautiful. She is. She's phenomenal. But uh, let's go out with one of the songs. Is there anything you want to hear? Yes, Moonlight Over the Mississippi. Moonlight Over the Mississippi. Anything yeah. about this song in, in particular, Sue? Well, this is another one that me and Mike kind of did together. And a lot of this stuff was stuff that we had to do over the phone or by computer because all of us was out on tour with our individual bands. But this one is one that really came together in the studio. And I'm, I'm just like my favorite one on the. It's on really the, fun know. to play live. Uh, and is it is it so much easier to to write together when you're looking at each other? Is it tough to write? It just seemed like it don't matter how it happened between yeah. us. It just like this this yeah. synergy that's it just that's keeps here, working know? out. You know, I mean, I never I've never been in a band before, and I've never written a song before. And uh, the first time I did was with these guys, and it. It's been, You'd never written a song with anyone before, never. or the first person I wrote a song with was Cyril Neville. That's crazy. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Although I think I could probably write a song with him. Yeah. Just let him get started first. <laughs> yeah. Me just, just get your name me, in there a little yeah. bit. You know. Nah, me throwing in a couple nah. things. Uh -huh. Hey, Anne. Anne. Yeah, I think we got it. We got it. All right. So the name of this song. Moonlight over the Mississippi. Moonlight over the Mississippi. It's the Royal Southern Brotherhood tonight. It's the Post Almond Brothers Beacon Show uh, Party. Is at BB Kings. BB Kings. Uh, doors open at eleven. Show starts at eleven thirty. You never know who's going to be stopping by. Also, the album comes out uh, May eighth in stores and online iTunes. But you can check this out now at RoyalSouthernBrotherhood.com. Go to the website and download the single for free. Thanks so much for stopping by. I love guys. you, Ron. Thank right. you, Fez. Thank you, Thank you I appreciate very much. you guys so much.
That's the Royal Southern uh, Brotherhood. Um, Cyril Neville is now one of my favorite people on the whole planet. He's the man. Yeah. <laughs> He's the shit. I'm just crazy about him. <laughs> just just crazy about him. Months. It is the uh, Ron and Fez show. Uh, we just saw this was sent to us. Alexis Stewart is a mom again. Oh. I don't know how she's doing the unfrozen egg things, but she gets the... Uh, she gets the surrogates, uh, the surrogate um, parents thing. Very, very nice. So, you know, there's the whatever girls. One of them's going out, starting a family. The other one's going out, I guess, starting a reality show. There you go. Babies in reality. Uh, here's uh, DMP Kyle. You're on the Run Fed Show. Hey, what's up, Ronnie B? Yeah. Hey, just wanted to uh, thank you guys for hosting that uh, Walking Dead chat uh, last weekend, and we're looking forward to doing it again on you, Sunday. So everybody, as you watch the Walking Dead, uh, just goes over to the iBang, and you guys sit there and talk about it while it's happening? Yeah, you know, just make jokes and shit on it and laugh about it. And, you know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a fun little group of people. This that fire's rocking. You know, it's good. Well, if you got her, you know it's going to be funny. Yeah, uh, all right, what time is that? Uh, I believe it's uh, 9 p.m. Sunday. I'm going to try to get Watley into that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'd love to have Fezzy there. All right, I'm going to tell Fez to go over 9 p.m., do the live chat on the iBang. Thank you, Ronnie B. All right, buddy. Peace. I don't know what you just wrote down. Oh, the winner from yesterday, um, of the winner of the Step Brother DVD signed by Adam Scott. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because our internet went down. We couldn't make a fucking I tweet. forgot all about that. During that crazy solar flare clusterfuck. Well, the winner is Blue Healer KY. Gets himself a nice Step Brothers DVD signed by Adam Scott for being a first responder. I just want you to look at your own writing and see if you know what that would say. I, I, you know what it looked like to me? It looked what's like that? A, it looked like uh, a bad flock of birds. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, he's got these V's written all over the place, and you have stepbrother winner. Yeah. Stepbrother winner. Yeah, I, I have very bad handwriting. It's as if someone just tore my palms out of my hands. Well, you do the best you can. I try. You were raised in a public school. <laughs> and a public pool. Oh, I had no idea. 
A story pool, baby. They say that's the cleanest possible place that you could swim. It's the mixture of piss and chlorine that makes itself much fun. Oh, nice and pissy. That's true. Yeah. And also, blood. Oh. Oh, God. And yeah. old works just laying at the bottom of the pool. Ow! What the hit? What's up? What did I just step on? How that AIDS needle hurts. Oh. They don't even tell you this, but every time you uh, step on a needle, it feels like a miss. And it doesn't come up that way, <laughs> but it, it, it does happen. All right, it's the um, Unmasked coming up in just a couple minutes. And uh, this is a kind of a really different Unmasked. You liked it. Uh, Hicks for the drama of it all. Yeah, I um, I've known her as the friend of was the nanny, but just her business mind is just fucking crazy. It's it's really I, I had no idea. It was really another side of her. Does it make you feel um, lazy? Uh, yeah, lazy and stupid. It makes me feel like and like you don't know where the angles are. <laughs> Sometimes. See, there are some people who just say to themselves. Failure is not an option. Now, I've always viewed failure as an option and not even a bad one. Sometimes I'll just really laugh at the failures. I mean, if you fail, and yet I meet people who who like they'll never put up with it. Yeah, they'll lose their shit. They can't have that in their yeah. life. Um, but you do get the feeling with her that she was going to be successful, and not just successful for herself but for other causes that she believed in now i'm going to go to ucb fred fred you would like to be the next fran drescher oh yeah she's rolling with a huge entourage too well yeah of course she does because it ain't easy being fran drescher it takes a it takes a team You're posse you come everywhere by yourself yeah i need more people to, to follow me around right now how many people you got just Hans Bonanza. All right, and Hans Bonanza, the problem for you there is he overshadows you. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, a lot of people think that you're in Hans's posse. You can't have No, it. no, no. I want people to be perfectly clear. Hans is following me around, not the other way. Yeah. Um, well, you've, you see, you've got to live it that way. You know what I mean? You, you just can't talk about it. Uh, up on the iBang, uh, check out the Filtered Excellence today. There's a lot of great stuff on there, but the Magic Johnson documentary is a must-see. Oh, I want. I love. I've definitely seen him watching this fucking thing. And I remember when they did when Magic Johnson came out and said that he had HIV, and we all said together, "Magic Johnson is going to die." You know what I mean? It's like it's over. hearing that Magic Johnson is a dead man walking, but it turned out not to. Uh, be true at all. No. You know? He fucking did it. He made yeah. it. So we're going to break here. Uh, we come back. Fan, uh, Fran Drescher and the Unmasked. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Uh, congratulations to those people out there who uh, are first responders because you saw what happened before. Who knows? Who you, knows when the next first responder gets surprised? Maybe get a little something for yourself. Yeah. Make sure you stay close to that Twitter at all times. All right, we break. We'll be right back. Unmasked with Fran Drescher. It's the Run Fez Show. 
It's time for Unmasked with this week's guest, Fran Drescher. Uh, the second season of Happily Divorce airs Wednesday at 10.30 p.m. That's 9.30 Central Time on TV Land. Uh, for this guest, Fran Drescher, I think you'll get a better idea of exactly who Fran is after this uh, hour interview because most people know her as a funny comedian doing the nanny and that's, that was her big uh, claim to fame. But I've always known her work from a lot of small kind of cult films or uh, small roles that she's had in some very, very big films. Uh, Saturday Night Fever. Uh, Ragtime is an amazing little part that she does in Ragtime. America Hot Wax, uh, Hollywood Nights, and everybody remembers her from This Is Spinal Tap. But her real big claim to fame, of course, was The Nanny. But now she's back in doing another show, kind of based on her life, called Happily Divorced. I think the thing about it that's so interesting is that you kind of know her as this really funny comedian, but offstage she's kind of got control of a lot of different things in her life. And if she reminds me of anyone, it's Lucille Ball. I remember seeing interviews with uh, Lucille Ball, and you would know her as Lucy, but offstage she kind of held herself as a queen. I mean, she was a really strong, together personality. And Fran kind of reminds me of that, that everyone knows her as this comedy character, but I think Fran would have been just about uh, successful in anything that she would have tried. There's a real drive there. And when you hear this interview with her, I think there's so many life lessons because she bounces back from so many different things that happened to her that she could probably teach a course or two in coping and how to be successful in America. So I'm Ron Bennington, and this is Fran Drescher on a mast. Congratulations. This is the second season of the new show. Happily Divorced. Happily yeah. Divorced. On TV Land, Wednesday nights at 10.30. Now, when you came back to do television, yes. were, you, uh, were you looking for something like TV Land? or Actually, TV Land approached me and yeah. asked me if I wanted to write and produce a new show. And I was open to that, so I came in with some ideas. And the first question that they asked me was, what would be the idea that you would want to start? in, mm -hmm. which was not part of the bargain originally, but I immediately said, oh, right off the top of my head, well, that would have to be about me and my gay ex-husband. <laughs> and I said, now do you want to hear... <laughs> I said, now do you want to hear the ideas that I came up with? And uh, he said, why? I just bought that one. <laughs> and that was the beginning of me coming back into sitcom. Now, that's the, now no matter what would have happened, you probably that would have become the show. But this is perfect fodder. You know, it's funny. It's like, okay, we're divorced, but wait a minute. We've got a show in this somewhere. 
You know, this is a great thing about uh, show You know, business. I always use my own life as yeah. a frame of reference. I like to write about what I know. And I've written two New York Times bestsellers that were somewhat autobiographical. I mean, that were <laughs> autobiographical. And even my children's book that's out now, Being Wendy, is kind of based off of my own personal experience as a child. So, um, yeah, I think that that helps, especially in a medium that's as fast as television. Sure. And television situation comedy, especially. Uh, if you want the character to be rich in specificity and you want to have a lot of detail, which is how I like to portray characters, uh, it's best that you write close to what you know. And you, the, the odd thing is, even before uh, you found out about your husband being gay and all, you were already a gay icon. You've been a gay... Yes, this has escalated me <laughs> to <laughs> Judy Garland status. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or at least her daughter. Uh, who did the same? Uh, but did that was it a shocking thing for you when it uh, when you found out? Uh, well, when he actually came out to me, we were already divorced, and I was already in love with a man sixteen years my junior. Mm -hmm. So Which, that's the next that's uh, the next series that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, I I I really harbored a lot of guilt because Peter did not want the divorce, and he mm -hmm. loved me, and he loved our life together, and he begged me not to leave him. But I really had to go. I felt very suffocated in the relationship. I didn't know myself. I had been with him since I was fifteen and he was very controlling and so there I was famous on the nanny making money everything that I had ever strived for but something within me was not happy and I knew I couldn't find my true voice mm -hmm. um, living with him I had to I had to go so uh, I, I, I did feel very guilty because it wasn't really in my nature to make it about me certainly not at the expense of someone else that I cared about and it was like walking through fire, leaving him. But I, I knew I, I would just die inside if I, if I didn't go. And then when he finally came out and said that he was gay, I felt a great deal of relief because all's well that ends well. And he's, mm -hmm. you know, in hindsight was able to see that a lot of his control issues were manifestations of him trying to suppress his authentic self. And, uh, and now, you know, he lives, uh, a more healthy life with his true orientation and more power to him and over the years you know we've rebuilt our friendship and put it on a new shelf probably where it should have always been mm -hmm. and uh, we're great friends we love each other we consider ourselves family we have each other's backs and and we're business partners again well when you said that you were 15 this was you guys met through theater too i mean was it always about show business for you guys as a yes, couple? Yes, yeah. yes, we met, I think, it, well, we remember the moment that we saw each other in the hallway, in the stairwell at our high school when we were in 10th grade, but then we both ended up in the same school play, and then we became part of a special school program that was a theater career program, so half the day we'd go to different kinds of theater classes, and mm -hmm. that was where we really uh, solidified a, a friendship, and by the time we were seniors, you know, we were high school sweethearts. Right. So it was always about some kind of love, it just... You know, was isn't necessarily man and, and wife uh, type of love, right? It's still. You mean you, husband and wife? Yeah, husband and wife. <laughs>
<laughs> See, I need to be. Why would that get applause? Why would me get applause? Be correct to get applause. Uh, but that is that is the thing, you know, that that connection for whatever you guys felt when you were kids, pre being even a couple, you know, was still there, right? It's yes, and you know, listen, we came from a very provincial um town and uh it was during the 70s that we were teenagers and uh you know we just did the traditional thing mm -hmm. um there really wasn't any other consideration and uh i you know didn't i was quite clueless to it all and uh neither one of us had a tremendous amount of experience and the metrosexual was very in vogue <laughs> right and yeah know, we loved each other we yeah. were best friends we had a very creative relationship and uh and an active sex life so you know you see what you want to see mm-hmm uh, but you bring up the 70s, and you were pretty driven even as a kid, right? You wanted to break in show business. You were... I was very ambitious, yeah. and uh, I knew I wanted to do something. I wanted to bust out of Queens. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be um, something famous and mm -hmm. uh, and world traveled and i i loved writing i loved journalism i loved politics i loved hairdressing i you know and and as it turns out i actually became everything that i wanted to be i loved acting well the first film that you got into was a pretty iconic film and saturday night fever yes yeah, saturday night fever and you had a very small part but everybody will remember your part which is kind of stunning uh, how could you? How did you get a role like that when you're just a kid? Uh, you know, I was already auditioning for commercials and mm -hmm. things. I had entered a Miss New York Teenager pageant. I heard on the radio if you were a girl between 13 and 17 and wanted to enter the competition, send in your 10 bucks. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a very discerning uh, competition there. Yeah, sure. But hundreds of girls did show up and it mm -hmm. got narrowed down and narrowed down and I ended up being the first runner-up and I started calling uh, theatrical agencies saying that I was the winner. <laughs> 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 and eventually I did get some representation, started going up on commercials and and got a bunch of commercials. Of course, I never spoke in any of them and didn't really connect mm -hmm. the fact that I had a funny voice <laughs> and that wasn't terribly commercial. Right. But they liked my smile and my energy. And so I got the commercials where, you know, I was the McDonald's girl handing the tray of hamburgers to uh, the um, person, but uh, not really saying anything. And so, you know, uh, one thing led to another, and I started going up on theatrical auditions as well, Saturday Night Fever being one of them. And, in fact, that was how I met and became friends with David Caruso, because he was also a kid living in Queens at the time, and we ended up taking the same train to go to the audition. I went on many callbacks for that. And originally it was supposed to be directed by John Avelson, who directed Rocky. Mm -hmm. And he was extremely interested in me playing the lead role that was later played by uh, Karen Lingorny. And then, for whatever reasons, they released John Avelson and hired John Badham. And John Badham hired his girlfriend, 
Karen Lynn Gourney. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was still really lucky because I did get a part in it, a much smaller part. Right. But I was, you know, thrilled to get anything. And so um, I was a teenager still living at home with my parents. And I had watched John Travolta as a sweat hog on Welcome Back, Cotter. And so for me, it was just a, a sure. huge deal. And, uh, and I was really excited about it. And my um, dad was working in Brooklyn at the time. And he came on his lunch break to visit me, and they said, I'm sorry, sir, but this is a closed set. And he said, but I'm the star's father. And they said, oh, right this way, Mr. Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the whole family lies. The whole, the whole family lies about how well they do. I think what's so great about that movie, though, is like, it was like a nostalgic m movie for that exact moment. You know what I mean? Like most things, yeah. you have to look back 25 years or before they get a grip on it. But that's exactly what that time was. Yes. And when that movie came out, it just exploded. Yes. I knew when I, um, I, after that movie, I got the movie American Hot Wax with Jay Leno. Right. And that brought me to Los Angeles, and that was the same studio, Paramount Pictures. So I remember that they asked me if I wanted to go see uh, a screening of Saturday Night Fever, and it hadn't been color corrected yet, and not all the music had been balanced or anything. But if I wanted to see an assemblage of it, um, it wasn't like a, a big screening or anything. There were just a few people in the room. But Peter and I went, and you know, we. We knew when we watched it that this was going to be major, mm -hmm. and uh, and indeed it was. Even before it came out, everybody in New York was excited about the, you know, everybody in Brooklyn was lining up, right? I yeah, mean, it yeah, days. it got a lot of attention in Brooklyn. Yeah. So did that help you get the next role? I mean, you brought up American Hot Wax, and it was another, it's another kind of a cult movie that you're in. Yeah, yeah, another music-driven movie, too. Yeah, right. And then Spinal Tap. I've yeah. done like three big music movies. Right. The reason why American Hot Wax really hasn't kind of um, been seen as much as it should have been seen, because it was a amazing movie, was because at the time Paramount did not have the foresight to negotiate the deals on all that music. Mm to be anything but a feature film. And so it never made it into the uh, video world, though it can be seen on cable sometimes. So it's never been released as, as, a, as no. a... Wow. No. I never even realized that. Yeah, it would have cost them too much money in royalties with all the people that were in that movie. I mean, there was really some uh, major uh, original recording artists mm -hmm. and then people that were imitating people of that day um but the songs were real so so you were your career kind of was cooking along but at the same time the ambition was still there right you still did you feel like i've made it once you started to get these early films that you had uh, well, you know, we were we always live kind of hand to mouth. If I got a job, then we think about how many months we can live on this check. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there was always that looming um, issue of what happens if the next check doesn't come in time to pay the bills and stuff like that. And there were times when Peter and I actually had to sell stuff. I sold my engagement ring at one point because we just you know couldn't. Afford Ford 
to live and um we shared one car which is nearly impossible when you live in los angeles mm -hmm. but we'd go on auditions together and um it was just uh i i guess you know we were really young and it was okay back then <laughs> right you know, we, but um but no thoughts of quitting no thoughts of hey maybe this isn't working out you know the i think that uh by the time the first big writer strike came along i was mm, i think around um i was i guess in my um, mid-20s mm -hmm. and uh, everybody was going on unemployment and I, I really hated being in that situation and I thought you know I don't want to be like 40 and still going on unemployment and still living hand-to-mouth like this it didn't really make me happy I would have left the business if I didn't eventually make money at it I wasn't going to uh, sacrifice having the kind of life that I wanted to have for the art because I felt like I could have been fulfilled doing other things mm -hmm. that were, um, you know, intellectually or artistically challenging for me that might have afforded me a better life. Because in a lot of businesses, if you work hard and you excel at what you do, you are able to climb the ladder. Mm -hmm. In show business, you can be the most talented person on earth and never get discovered. Right. So, you know, the only rule about show business is that there's no rules mm -hmm. and you really can't count on anything and so that kind of lack of control was a great frustration for me and at one point around that time I actually started a crouton business called loaf and kisses because <laughs> I used to make these croutons at home and everybody would like pass the cookie jar and go right to the crouton jar and I thought you know I'm gonna manufacture these croutons and um, I started doing that and it was actually beginning to take off but then as luck would have it my career started to take right. off too and I got Dr. Detroit with Dan Aykroyd and uh, and Spinal Tap back to back Wow! and so I ended up phasing out of the crouton thing and I, <laughs> and oddly no one took that spot from you that there's no one out there who became the famous Amos of croutons you know what I mean like <laughs> It's still there if anybody uh, wants it. If you really think to yourself, there's an opening. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a, uh, I don't know, almost like a film strip right there, going into the crouton business? It just doesn't <laughs> seem even real. You know, really, it was like uh, going to business graduate school, working mm -hmm. that business, and I learned a lot. The business of being in business. Yeah, yeah, yeah I learned a lot, and I, and I enjoyed it. And if I wanted to channel all of my energy into it I think I would have been successful at that too but uh, you know the acting was something that I really enjoyed doing mm -hmm. and uh, so when it started to connect for me I stuck with it but even after that even after doing several films and I did at least one television pilot a year sometimes two that never went to series right and at that point I was still playing you know the nutty neighbor the hooker with the heart of gold <laughs> and um, you know I, I I did a really bad pilot and I watched them make mistake after mistake and I knew they were mistakes mm -hmm. and I really didn't have any say in the matter and I decided right there and then this is the last time I'm going to do something for the money and uh, I'm going to 
either get myself on the inside in a big way uh, as a producer or I'm going to get out. Mm. Because I, you know, I don't want to be a gun for hire and be working for people that are not as gifted as I am. It's just too much of a frustration. And yet the interesting thing, even though some of those things were going on, here's Spinal Tap, a small film. You only have a couple scenes in it. And I'm sure people quote those scenes to you. Oh, totally. You know, because I know I'm at parties and people are quoting those things <laughs> and you're not there. So <laughs> I, I can't imagine what it's like for you. But there's so many times that in these cult movies that you will have these spots that at some point you had to think to yourself, yeah, this is bound to, to pop for us. You know, mm -hmm. this is bound to work. Um, so it must have been tough to to know that it was working on one level, but just hadn't broke out yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, it, yes, I was, I did find this little niche, so mm -hmm. to speak, and people respected me as being a, a good comic actor, a pretty girl with a funny voice, and all of that. But it's hard to get the momentum of making money and mm -hmm. paying your bills and you know you may get a, a great part but I you know, I didn't make any money and I, I, I never really made money until I I did the nanny <laughs> 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 and thank God for that because you know uh, that's that was really the bullseye and and then you know I was you know just so lucky to make like a chunk Right. But you had been, I'm sure, being recognized in all, all the time leading up, even before the nanny, right? I mean, Yeah, people were knowing yeah. me in the business and uh, calling me in for things. I did two uh, pictures with Robin Williams. Uh, you know, Cadillac Man was a really good part for me. Cadillac Man is one of those films that you're like, this should have made $200 million. I mean, if you look at that film even now... It, I don't know if I would change anything about it. You and know? it was shot in Queens. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a really good movie. But who knows? Maybe it was a little ahead of its time yeah. or something. Yeah, it's the kind of dark anti-hero. It's kind of the stuff that Showtime and HBO do now as a series, you know? Yes. Because you look at Robin Williams and you don't exactly think, well, there's a nice guy. You know, it's much more complicated. Yes. But it was hysterical. And your stuff in that film was... Phenomenal Thank working you. with the dog is yes. the same. Now that was my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my character had a little yeah. yappy dog in it and I thought, oh well, I was gonna screen test with Robin Williams. I might as well bring Chester Drescher with me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, every time Robin made an overture at me, because we were like having an mm -hmm. affair. Uh, my dog, who was extremely protective of me and had a real Napoleon complex, <laughs> would start barking at Robin, and he would, like, recoil, and I'm thinking, oy vey, what is happening here? <laughs> but as I'm leaving the audition, they're taking measurements of the dog. <laughs> and I, I called my manager when I got in the car, and I said, you know, I don't know about me, but I think Chester got the part. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I got the part because of Chester. Yeah. And so we both flew to New York to do uh, Cadillac Man. So this dog wasn't, like, trained to no, be a show business No, Chester dog. was, like, a very, con he was very consistent in what he did. Mm. So, you know, and I knew what you what would trigger him right 
and uh, and you could always count on him to you know act like a maniac. Right. He was very intelligent, I must say. And you know when like um, uh, Tim uh, Robbins was with a gun and screaming and yelling, <laughs> you knew that that was going to get Chester all riled up, and he would start barking at Tim and everything like that. So the funny thing is, you know, uh, Tim uh, when uh, when Tim was doing his close-up. Chester was always right there to feed him Chester's lines, essentially, and bark at him. And uh, but when the cameras were turned around on Chester, Tim was not there to give Chester no. all the. You know, he, he wasn't generous in that way. And I said, Tim, you know, Chester gives you everything, and you give him nothing. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure you love Chester, but that was an awful little dog. I mean, that was just a ah. vicious little dog. And the, I thought that the entire um, scene-stealing thing in the movie, too, is when you were caught by your husband and he asked if you were having an affair. If you guys I, were st- I said, a little. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> just a little. It was so funny. So You know, it's funny because a little uh, inside story to that was... <laughs> Um, there's a scene where Tim is holding a gun on me, but I run towards the gun to get to Robin Mm -hmm. because I want to be with Robin. And after like the rehearsal, Tim starts saying to me, you know, I've got a loaded gun here. I mean, you're running towards the gun. You got to really, you know, I mean, I I don't know. It's got to seem real that I've got a loaded gun here. And I said, you know, I know why I'm running towards the gun. Do you know why you don't shoot me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that shut him up. (laughs) And then he kind of gained respect for me. Right. I don't uh, see you being intimidated a lot, though. Am I right about that? I mean... When the way that you would even do a lot of these films and get yourselves on is the, the confidence level was always there. Am I right? Yeah, the confidence yeah. level was always there, and I always thought that um, you know if I didn't get the job, they were stupid. <laughs> and you have to actually believe that, right? In order to survive the business. See, my husband, um, you know, he would uh, bleed and be very emotionally wounded every time he didn't get a part, and he'd beat himself up about it. And, you know, it triggered a lot of stuff in him uh, mm-hmm. from uh, rejection that he felt as a child. And so for him, it really wasn't a great uh, direction for him to go. And I begged him to get behind the scenes as a writer producer. Producer, which I knew he was very accelerated at, and eventually he did because it was it was killing him emotionally, and uh, he would get extremely depressed when he didn't get a part. And what about you when you didn't get a part? How did you handle it? Um, you know, I I, I don't know. I think I got over it much quicker, yeah. much quicker. And uh, it, one time I got fired from a part, and that was a big humiliation for me. And I felt, you know, I, I didn't know how to face anyone after that, and I didn't know how to tell my parents, and it was mm. like, you know, and, and actually um, um, my manager's husband, Alan Rich, who was a fellow actor, said uh, that there was a, a young actor that was auditioning for a play once, and uh, they said, you know what, you can't act. 
you shouldn't be in the business and please, you know, leave the stage. And that actor was Laurence Olivier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that kind of made me feel better when Alan right. told me that. So, uh, you know, and now it, I, I realize that people, you know, get released or cut all the time. And it rarely has anything to do with you. Sure. So, uh, but at the time, it it, it really was hurt this for me. a film or a TV yeah, show? It was yeah, was it was for the movie uh, The In Laws. Oh, and uh, I was to play uh, the daughter, and uh, I worked like one or two days, and and they saw the rushes, and 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 then let me. Go. And this is when you were a kid, right? This was uh, yeah, seventies film. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So yeah, I mean, at that point, it is tougher, I'm sure, when you have zero. Uh, real well, you know, I have a lot more insight to myself because I've been in a lot of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I have great, you know, understanding of myself. And I think that, you know, part of my drive has always been to, you know, like um, prove that I'm really, you know, um, uh, worthy or to feel really good about myself or you know something like that and so getting fired kind of tapped into something pretty deep for me that i really didn't have uh you know insight to at the time right but uh now i do and you know even though it d didn't um hurt me like it might have hurt peter when he would get rejected from an audition uh i don't think that there's anybody that becomes an actor that isn't on some level saying you know look at me mom right love me yeah now when you do therapy and you take care of those things does that hurt the drive at all you know what I mean? does that keep you i mean some of that fire isn't that doesn't isn't that helpful for a career um, you know, you would think that maybe it would factor into it, but I, I actually think that, um, to, uh, live, uh, uh, to know thyself mm -hmm. is extremely empowering. To know what makes you tick, to, to not be ruled by archaic issues that you don't have insight to. Sure. You make wrong decisions for the wrong reasons. You choose people in your life for the wrong reasons. I think all the way around, it's much better to un have great insight to yourself and be peaceful with yourself. And I could tell you firsthand that it hasn't really... Um, you know, uh, squelched my ambition in the least. Mm -hmm. Well, I say that because you're keeping a busy schedule now, and obviously you don't need to. Some of these things you just love to do, right? I mean, you love yeah, to Yeah, I mean, involved. maybe someday I'll get insight to why I can't just relax and rest <laughs> on my laurels, but we haven't gotten there yet. But, you know, I mean, I couldn't even get cancer without turning it into a cottage industry. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Every everything that happens to you becomes an idea for entertainment. That's interesting. Well, I turn lemons into lemonade, and uh, you know, I, I again, you know, I like to be in control of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was, you know, diagnosed with cancer, and then uh, had to get an operation to cure the cancer, 
I felt very betrayed by my body and the medical community because I was on a two-year eight-doctor odyssey until mm. I got a proper diagnosis. And so I, you know, I didn't know how to reconcile with this. Um, and uh, I, I had to get a radical hysterectomy to cure myself of what turned out to be stage one uterine cancer. And that's a difficult operation for any woman, but for one who had never had children like myself, it's a particularly bitter pill to swallow. So I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to write a book about this. So what <laughs> happened to me doesn't happen to other people. And uh, I remember when I said that, I was sitting around the dining room table having lunch with my manager and her husband and my boyfriend at the time. And and then and I wrote a book about it and I and I sold it to the idea to Time Warner and uh, it was a New York Times bestseller and it wasn't until I went on my book tour that I realized what happened to me happened to many people millions of people all across America by means of misdiagnosis and mistreatment and uh, for many people uh, a late stage diagnosis is the consequence though fortunately not for me and I really feel like I got famous I got cancer and I live to talk about it so I feel a great obligation to um, you know use my gift of life mm -hmm. and celebrity and really uh, create a really game-changing kind of revolutionary thinking about taking control of our bodies and I started the cancer schmancer movement Mm. No, you said take control like some of the celebrity stuff, because when you became a celebrity uh, with the nanny, it was one of those things where, you know, it was really big fest and everybody was paying attention to you, in, including, you know, kind of all the gossip rags and things like that. I mean, immediately you became this source of things that people wanted to read about. Was that difficult for you or were you able to, you know, roll with it a little bit? Well, I'll tell you something. I think that uh, at first, uh, the press, when we launched the series, they were very intrigued by the fact that Peter and I were high school sweethearts, mm -hmm. and we were the creators and executive producers of the show. So we liked all of that. But then, as the years went on and the marriage began to deteriorate, then the press you know, kind of went at us from and exploited the pain we were in. And that way I didn't like at all. Yeah. And I wasn't used to that. And uh, he, you know, I moved out and he had, you know, press standing on our front lawn of our house. And um, I had to leave in the middle of the night from a place that I was staying at and it, it it was a very difficult time, and I I didn't anticipate that. And then when this show happened, um, I really didn't want to make the launch about the fact that this was inspired by my own life. I mm -hmm. said, you know, been there, done that, and I think that I've earned my place in sitcom history to be able to launch a new sitcom with a very provocative, fresh relationship idea. And not necessarily bring to the public that it's inspired by my real life. Mm -hmm. But um, Peter was open to it and uh, felt like it was it would be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I am a, a, a person that takes um, you know a, a, a front line position in fighting for. Uh, civil liberties 
and marriage equality and so it you know it just turned out that uh, we exposed our story and the fact that it was inspired by our real story and you you kind of own that a little bit I mean that does give you that control again like you were talking with with anything that happens to you that once you say okay this is mine then you can move it around a little more because I guess you can't really hide anything in America these days right I don't think so it doesn't mm. seem so everybody has you know a video camera and yeah. uh, on their cell phone and <laughs> uh, it's very hard to keep a secret and I've never really been a secretive person uh, you know I mean I'm I've always been a what you see is what you get and then I kind of live my life more or less an open book mm -hmm. uh, so um, you know and it's turned out fine. I, I just didn't want Peter. I didn't know if Peter w understood that, you know, once he really um, brought himself into the equation with the show, that his personal life might change because he would be more under a spotlight than he has been. And uh, because he's not the star of the show, I am. But you know, but he he was okay with it, and I don't think that he has any regrets about it. And I think that now I would handle anything that happens with the press in terms of um, how um, you know um, issue personal um, issues, whether they be a personal crisis or mm -hmm. whatever, is handled. I I don't think I would take it all as personally as I did back then. Sure. Because you, just that you've learned through it, through the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your comfortability level, I think, is amazing. And I've seen you do different things on TV, and I, I saw pictures of you at this uh, Oscar party with some kind of frightening animal that you were... I don't know what the hell that thing was. <laughs> but, but I've never seen anyone take an animal like that to a nice car. What is this thing that you have? What is That's Esther Drescher. Yes. <laughs> really lucky. Esther is an amazing little girl. She's a Pomeranian, maybe mixed with Ewok, I'm just saying. It is. She's incredibly cute. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I thought, what am I going to do at this Oscar event that's going to garner me the kind of press that I would like to get for all the effort I'm putting into <laughs> looking this good? <laughs> and knowing that my show is about to launch. Right. And then I looked at her sitting on the floor. She had just had her little <laughs> teddy bear cut. And she matched my dress so perfectly. <laughs> and I thought, okay, put your necklace on, honey. You're coming with me. <laughs> and she was my date along with my makeup man, Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody had to, nobody was saying, uh, like, you can't bring this alien creature into the party with you? Um, you know, by the time we got actually into the ballroom, yeah. somebody did come over to me, but not before I had a fantastic picture with Elton and his son, Zachary, <laughs> and Katy Perry, <laughs> and uh, in People and Us this week. Right. And um, so I, um, 
I was I could have said you know she's a service dog because she is but it was like I was ready to let my assistant take her <laughs> yeah because you know I was like getting an upper body workout and when you do those <laughs> long press lines right you're on that press line for over an hour at least maybe an hour and a half how much is this dog weigh well <laughs> she admits to 10 pounds <laughs> <laughs> No way, Jose. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just that kind of street smarts that you bring to this that, let's face it, a lot of the people in PR business wouldn't even be able to think that do, doing something like that would bring the extra attention to your show. Well, I think that the press really appreciate when celebrities uh, give them something. Right. You know, I mean, because that's when they get the money shots. Right. And that's what they're there for. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the um, marriage between um, the celebrity and the press, when it's a good marriage, is, you know, unstoppable. And all that came from your time at the nanny. I mean, that's when the press was around the most, right? I mean, that's uh, leading up to that point of your life. I think never, that that's when yeah. I, I cut my teeth, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and when you have a show like that, and it's yours, and you know... Um, that every week depends on keeping that level up. What kind of pressure is that, knowing that you have to have the right scripts and everything worked out? Oh, it's 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 really unbelievably difficult. Yeah. I can't, I mean, you know, and, and that was 18 years ago. Yeah. Now I'm 18 years older, mm -hmm. and I don't have that impetus that I, this is my big shot to make it. Right. Because I already made it. So now I'll ask myself, what am I doing? <laughs> this is so hard. Ay, ay, ay. And you really have no life. It's like once you start a new season, it's like you check out and say to your friends and family, I'll see you in six months. Mm -hmm. Because it's a lifestyle that's almost 24-7. When you wear as many hats as I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm grateful to be working in this economy. I like doing something that, um, the global message of this show is love is love. You know, right. I'm at a place in my life where everything that I do, I would like to somehow inform the greater good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I'm glad that this show is fresh and a little provocative, pushes the envelope a little bit, and maybe exposes the general public to an unconventional relationship. But um, they seem to be welcoming us with open arms, and I feel very proud of that. And uh, I think that, you know, it's uh, we're really on the pulse of mm -hmm. a very timely issue. Uh, so uh, one of the platforms that I speak out about, as I said, is uh, not only health issues, but, um, you know, civil liberties. And uh, so uh, the fact that right now there's so much controversy about marriage equality, it's uh, extremely timely. Well, it was even, uh, what are we, at eight states now that I think have gay marriage? Are we up to that many? It's about somewhere in that area. But even in New York City, the night that uh, gay marriage passed here, I was still surprised to see how happy people were. I thought that, you know, this, this had been one of those gay communities that had been established for so long here, but it meant so much to so many people. That well, night, let me tell was, you something. I mean, um, to tell you the truth, uh, it's, to me, it's, it's even 
bigger than a gay issue. Mm -hmm. It's about a nation maturing and constantly pushing itself out of its comfort zone to further realize an ideal version of the American dream and our Constitution. So explain how that keeps going on, though. What What's the next level that we... You said it's bigger than a gay issue. Uh, how does it keep rolling out? Well, I, I think that wherever we find ourselves isolating a group, mm -hmm. um, making them feel inferior or less than, not having the same rights, uh, wherever there's any kind of prejudice towards anybody, um, we have to call that out. And uh, we as a nation, I think, are at our best when we are like a beacon of freedom for the world's inspiration. So we have to keep topping ourselves. We have to keep bettering ourselves. We are, you know, a uh, the greatest nation on earth. I truly believe that. I'm extremely patriotic. And I think that... Um, what we have is uh, a nation that um, deserves to keep maturing and growing and uh, and mastering its own destiny. Uh, what do you do about people that have been longtime uh, fans of yours, uh, but because of their religious background can't agree with you on some of these I, things? I, 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 I applaud them. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, I mean, I think that uh, that's what it, that's what, you know, that's what being an American is all about. I, I will defend your right to have a different opinion from me. And, uh, we're a nation of separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important. And I think that we all have to remember that if we're lucky enough to live here, then, you know, we're not living in a religious dictatorship. And that's something to be celebrated. I think the other interesting thing, too, is the way that that you do this message is through your show, through comedy. Because uh, even if you go back to the civil rights of the 1960s for African Americans, I honestly think that in many ways Bill Cosby was just as important to so many of those issues as Martin Luther King. Because if you can laugh at that kind of stuff and you can get involved with it, it's a lot different than somebody lecturing to you, you know? Anything that, you know, allows the public to relax mm -hmm. and get used to something new and not get frightened by it or threatened by it um, is, a, is an extremely powerful tool. And certainly, if you can ingratiate the public with a new concept through humor, that's... Mm probably one of the most powerful tools you can have. And I think that the um, the character of Mr. Pita on uh, <laughs> Happily Divorced is such an endearing, lovable, wonderful man and so good and kind and, uh, and loving um, that, uh, you know, uh, maybe it takes the curse off of some people's fears. Mm -hmm. Have you heard back from a lot of people about this, particularly uh, people that are kind of in the struggle um, about the show? I, I think that what I've heard a lot from are people that have had partners that came out mm -hmm. 
and I've heard a lot from people that have um, ex-partners that they're still forced to live with because of economic situations, and I've heard a lot from people who um, are uh, trying to be happily divorced because the show has inspired them. Right. So that's mostly what I've heard about. And, you know, listen, for me, the global message is love is love. That's it. I mean, you know, it's love. It's one of the most powerful uh, emotions that two consenting adults can share. And I don't think that it has anything to do with, um, you know, ethnicity or gender or religion. I think it's just more powerful than any of that. And sometimes, I guess, people are in our lives for whatever reason, too. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes people seem to be in our lives because it just makes sense, whether you're together as a couple or divorced uh, and still remaining friends. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you make a big investment in a relationship. You felt like, you know, for whatever reasons, you thought you were supposed to marry this person. You obviously must have loved them. Mm -hmm. The marriage doesn't work out. Uh, I think it behooves you to try and figure out where, you know, you guys belong. And uh, in so doing, you didn't, you know, waste a lot of investment of time in this person. And uh, you can find uh, the proper shelf to put the relationship on. And I think that people tend to be much more tolerant of their friends mm -hmm. than they are their mates because we have expectations of mates to be you know all things for us right and uh, and and maybe you do need your mate to uh you know like fit more qualifications than a friend but um the tolerance that we afford our friends you know if they get annoying so you don't call them for a week or two. Uh, if you know you, you i mean it was my manager elaine that taught me many many years ago that you know it's great to identify in your friends their strengths and their weaknesses and then you know enjoy them for their strengths and don't turn to them for their weaknesses go to somebody else that's strong in those areas or you're going to be a setting yourself for failure and b you're going to end up being disappointed in these people so it's always best to extract from the people that are in your life that you care about what their strengths are mm -hmm. and know before whom thou stands that's what shakespeare said and so you know once you do that you can have lifelong relationships with people because you understand them and so if they're not you know one that's gonna really be there if god forbid you're sick it's not their thing they get squeamish they can't deal you don't turn to them mm. And so, you know, you you just, you different friends offer you different things. And uh, some people are part of your inner nucleus, and then there are different, you know, rings outside of the nucleus. And some people are further away from your center. But, you know, you can enjoy different people on different levels and for different reasons. Uh, tonight, after you leave here, you're going to go out and marry a couple people, right? 
I am. It turns out to be one couple. Oh, one and couple. They won a contest, the Love Is Love contest, <laughs> on the happilydivorced.com website. <laughs> and they're a very, very sweet couple. One of them is a cancer survivor. They've adopted two children, and they're a very uh, sweet and loving family. And I feel very honored to officiate at this auspicious occasion. So that's something that uh, a bunch of people tried to get to be part of yeah so this is something you could keep doing for a while if you if you wanted to this could be a side business for you uh, and then it seems like i think you can make it as a marriage counselor too i think you picked up on a bunch of this uh, well or i can like open up a friend chapel in vegas <laughs> uh, when all else fails <laughs> right next to the elvis chapel uh, well i'll tell you friend we're lucky that we have you we really are and it was great to have you stop by today and I talk to us. I appreciate that. Thank you. You got a great audience. Thank you for being Everybody, here. Everybody, let's hear from Fran Drescher. Let her hear. <laughs>